The Brutally Speaking podcast is proudly sponsored by Starving Artist Brewing. Starving Artist Brewing may be a small speck on Michigan's beer map, but they say big things come in small packages. A brewery who really puts their money where their mouth is, supporting underground artists far and wide. Making delicious beers with the simple belief that you should judge beer, not people. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 officially licensed items in their online store, you're guaranteed to find something you need. Use our code BRUTALLY and get 10% off your total purchase order. Now on to the show. everybody welcome back to another episode of the brutally speaking podcast i am your host john and this episode's guest is daniel rinaldi of bed light for blue eyes uh this was actually a really interesting chat uh given how it came about which was that daniel had heard the episode with josh from Trustkill and ended up reaching out and saying he would love to be on the show and kind of talk about uh some of his experiences with Trustkill and the era of his band um and honestly, before we kind of get into any of that, you know, it's it's been a few weeks since I put anything out, you know, following the the epic four episodes in four days, plus the fifth one with the Tim Ripper Owens episode, uh, but dropping all the episodes with the guys from See You Next Tuesday ahead of their uh, Distractions albums dropping. And then basically I started a new job, uh, which is and still continues to be a little bit of a, an undertaking of just learning so many new things. And, you know, it's it's been... It's been a couple of weeks, um, and it just was a thing where I didn't want to feel burdened to do something. You know, I had said uh, a while ago, like, if I felt like my life was just kind of needing to take a pause from this, I was going to take a pause, and it felt like dropping five episodes in five days was just as good an excuse as any uh, to take a little bit of a step back and kind of let, hey, everyone, you know, listen to all the episodes that I put out in that short amount of time. Uh, but secondly, uh, and more importantly, just to kind of deal with the things going on in my life and, you know, a new job and then heading out to Seattle to go to the Botry Union uh, shows. I only went to one, but there were two. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with how many of the Botry Union shows there were, which now the irony, uh, days before uh, going to Seattle, they announced a whole tour uh, and they are playing mere hours away this time instead of having to catch a flight and going, you know, to the other coast uh, from here in the Midwest. But uh, the show was really awesome. Getting to uh, see Frankie from Rockabilia um, was super awesome. You know, obviously we've had him on the show. Uh, he and I communicate pretty regularly um, and not really about anything other than just life stuff, uh, not even to do with the podcast or his job. And it just was one of those things where... Um, there was a little uncertainty whether Frankie would make it out. Um, you know, he had to put his dog down uh, right before the trip, uh, days before, actually. And so there was a little bit of a uncertainty if he was going to make it out. And I definitely wouldn't have faulted him uh, for not coming out under the circumstances. And it was one of those that when we were, you know, kind of walking through Seattle and, and checking out different sites and so forth, you know, kind of having 
those one-on-one moments, uh, kind of talking about the grieving process um, and kind of dealing with emotions of loss. And it uh, it was one of those things where, you know, I'm really glad he came out and I'm glad I kind of got to be a bit of a sounding board for him uh, having gone through this, you know, a few years prior uh, when I had to put my dog down on New Year's Day of 2020. And, you know, it was kind of a reminder that a lot of us, you know, go through grief and and go through things, go through life. I'll just say it and simplify it by that. We go through life and a lot of times I think we feel alone or we're we're kind of afraid to ask questions. Um, And I was kind of thinking about that. You know, I was was glad, like I said, that I could be a sounding board for Frankie, but it was also a thing to me where as we're discussing and, you know, when he's asking like, how long did it take for you to not feel this way anymore? And, you know, when did you guys, when did you and your wife know it was time to get a new dog and all of those kind of things? And I would love to say that, like, I'm over those feelings from from three years ago, three plus years ago at this point. But honestly, like in talking to him, like I was transported right back to the day and, and the feelings I had uh, going through through that loss of a family member and, and just all the new firsts that you have to experience, sadly, um, in this post-life after losing one of your, your pets. Um, and I'll even extend it to friends and family and so forth. You know, there have become a lot of these firsts that we have to endure. And it's tough. Um, but I was really, was really glad that I could kind of help someone else maybe go through it and kind of offer them uh, some solace uh, in their time of need. And, and I feel like that's something, you know, that kind of carries over into this conversation that I had with Daniel, you know, with him being a therapist at this point and talking about mental health and talking about a lot of the things that I think we're, we're sometimes afraid to talk about to people because if we feel this sense of, I don't know if shame is the thing. I just feel like A, it becomes a bit of that we become a burden to somebody and we don't want to do that. Um, I do think it is a little bit of shame or fear, uh, insecurities, uh, that if you start talking about this, well, how will the other person react and will they use this information, you know, against me or something? Um, but it's one of those that I, I, I know we as a society, especially preach that we should be taking the time to talk about mental health and to talk our way through grief and, you know, share these, these moments with each other and help each other get through them. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. Um, it's just, uh, it's kind of interesting how life works out that way. Um, all of that said though, this is kind of a lengthy conversation and, uh, I'll talk to you on the other side of it. going so um i guess first things first you're one of the first and only people i can think of off the top of my head that really responded to an episode that i put out and then was like hey i want to come on <laughs> like in yeah, the I, almost six years of doing it that has never happened yeah absolutely i mean i guess my connection to that episode is a little different than than the common listener 
So mm. I think that that might have had something to do with it. But for for me, that that episode was 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 really cool and and really eye opening um, for me. Um, so yeah, I was like, I wanted to reach out and be like, hey, I, I'd love to come on. Like I <laughs> I love being on podcasts and and love talking about music you know my big thing is mental health these days so so anything about that so yeah i definitely wanted to hit you up well it was funny because like when starting to do that episode and starting to reach out to josh you know i had kind of reached out to a handful of people that i've kind of befriended from doing this podcast that had been on trust kill like back in the day because i had a couple people when i was like oh man like i randomly landed josh and some people were like do you think that's a good idea and it became this thing where, and I've talked about this sporadically on the podcast, but it's like, you know, my dad had made a mention a long time ago about like, what do you want to do with your platform? And mm -hmm. I remember like looking at him and just being like, what do you mean a platform? And he goes like the podcast, You're like people listen to it. People like it is your platform. Like sometimes I don't think we, we realize that we have these platforms, even just in, in the sense of uh, social media, which he doesn't have at all. But it was just kind of this like eye-opening thing where it was just like so simple and profound that I was like, I don't know. And even in that regard of having Josh on, where it's like I know the narrative of what we know from people, you know, talking. And that's why like I kind of made a big point where, you know, in the chat with Josh, we're talking about like, you know, I know when I've had to be a manager at places and stuff like that, it's like you're perception of what you think you have to do or like what the business is changes mm -hmm. when all of a sudden like you get more information and all of a sudden it's like yeah man i'm all about like trying to be nice and, and have you know things be fun at work but at the end of the day like if i'm getting reamed out because you keep giving shit away or like these things that impact like the bottom line like i can't have it anymore and like you go from being the friend to now being the asshole and it's like you know, that was kind of the interesting, interesting thing I figured probably had to have been going on with Josh is like, I feel like he was such a fan, was a part of the scene, you know, out in, out in the East Coast and was a part of this thing happening. And then, you know, subsequently started Trust Kill. And I'm sure for the first little while, it was just lots of fun and, you know, handing over money to, to go get these experiences with these young bands. But then it turns into a point, especially when you get, you know, bought out technically or upstreamed or however you want to call that the contract they have with Sony. Where it's like now someone else is like financially mm -hmm. responsible for shit and they're just not going to like start writing checks and go, well, I'm good faith. I hope this happens or, hey, the music industry is completely shifting. So I was like, I assumed that there had to have been something in that time frame of where it's like maybe it's not necessarily that he's a bad guy. He just had to be a business person versus like the friend everyone had that owned a label and was my my boss. And Josh didn't really shy away from any of that. I mean, since putting out the episode, I've, I've definitely had people kind of reach out very much like yourself. And they were just like, oh, man, I want to come on the show and I want to rebuttal like everything Josh said. And it's like, that's not I'm not interested in that. Like to me, like the growth of a person and how we change over time, I think is interesting mm -hmm. coming on to just be like, I fucking hated that dude and blah, 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 blah. Like that's I have no interest in that. Like that doesn't serve anybody. And it's just petty and childish, honestly, in my my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that was one of the biggest things that I like, I appreciated was when I reached out to you and you explained that you were like, Hey, if you're looking to kind of come on here and rebuttal this and kind of talk down on this interview, this fantastic interview I just had with, with Josh, like, I'm not really interested in that. And one of my first things to you was like, 
I think I said like, I'm on, I talk to the dude every week. Like we're cool. Like <laughs> we've had, we've had things in the past, right? Like I was, I was in a band signed to his record label, right. In a time in that time where, when he was talking about CD sales were going off of a cliff because no one was buying physical CDs. And we ended up, my band ended up becoming a casualty of, of that, of not making money and not having that end there were short periods of time where yes, as a young band, especially me at the time, I was 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, where I didn't know anything. I was just happy to be out on the road. Like (laughs) you mean to tell me I get to travel the country and get up on stage and perform and play with these really awesome bands that I've looked up to for so many years. Um, So like when that all happened that like for me, I never I never had anything bad to say. I was like, this it's business. The business is shifting. This is changing. And like, you know, what people forget is that what people forget a lot of the times is there is two sides to every story. Right. And, and a big part of it is you don't know the inner workings of what goes on, right? Like how much an album actually costs, right? How much marketing for that album costs, you know, I can only speak for myself when I say like, we made a decently expensive record and it would be silly to go like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to recoup that. Like we weren't the upper echelon of trust kill at all. We were a pop band essentially on a metal hardcore, whatever you want to call it label. And, you know, for, for me to ever be mad at someone who allowed me to go and record at this gorgeous state of the art studio that I wouldn't have been able to do up by myself, like is, is crazy. Like it's, it's crazy to me. So like, yeah, when I reached out to you and you were like, listen, this is not what I'm looking for. I was like, Hey man, I'm not looking for that. Like Josh and I are in contact now. We have like things in the works now. So it's like, we're, we're, I get it. It's business. And I'm also, I was 18 at the time. I'm also 35 now. Like there's a lot of time that has passed in my life that even if I did feel wrong, it's, it's a different, it's a different chapter. Um, for me, at least, you know, I know it's hard for a lot of the other bands to let go because maybe they were making a ton more money than, than I was, or my band was. So I, you know, obviously when, when money gets involved, it's always a, a sticky situation. Well, I think like the, the thing that gets interesting about it to a degree is, you know, and this is someone that's, never done any of those things, but just, you know, have a lot of people that I know that have, and just being kind of a sponge for stories they'll tell and just kind of going, I think this, and then, or I'll ask questions and then eventually people will be like, yeah, it was, this was actually your hundred percent right. Or you're close, but it was this. And so a lot of times I feel like with, with the label type stuff, I feel like, I feel like the thing that I, I focus on quite a bit and I just, I mean, I guess it kind of segues into sort of mental health and all that kind of stuff as well, or just the, the, the development of us as people and our brains and so forth and how we think. But it's like, I always often kind of hate that. I feel like so many bands get signed when they're young and I don't know if it's, I mean, obviously it's because you, you can invest in them in a long term, and hopefully you, you can, you know, like it's kind of egregious when you do like these like seven, eight album deals that are probably Mm going to take you like 10, 15, 20 years. 
um, or never get through them. And they know that they got you basically. But the other thing that I always think is the thing that we don't really talk about or think about is a lot of times when these bands are like getting signed, they're like either still in high school or just out of high school, barely know who they are. Like maybe they know music is like the thing that makes them feel happy. And it's, it's an outlet that they're good at and they're creative, but then it's like, okay, you then thrust them into a world that they don't really know. And you put them in insanely weird situations that aren't normal while you're developing your adult brain essentially. And then when you come home, you're not doing anything like anyone around you. So there's no sense of normalcy with your peers. And then there becomes this pseudo resentment or something between like you building your career and kind of doing this thing that you're passionate about. But then in turn, all your friends and family give you guilt and a bunch of shit about, well, you're never home for this. You're not here for this. And it's just like, what does that do to you as an individual that's so young and, and still figuring things out? And like, how can it not stunt who you are or things that you expect in, from the world and the people around you? Because essentially you're given a day sheet. You have people who do things for you when you get to a venue typically, or, you know, mm. whatever you be, you've learned how to become so self-sufficient for the most part that it's like, you don't really need anybody. And then it's like, when you're done with that, all you've known is band stuff. And if your band ends up breaking up or you, you quit or whatever, that then it's like, okay, how do you wrestle with who you are now? Because all you've known is this thing. And now you're not that anymore. So it's like, what does it look like when you start trying to unravel the layers of who am I now that I'm not a band guy or I'm not this person from this band or whatever. Like now I have to be an adult and acclimate to the real world. Can I do that? I think, I mean, I, I could definitely speak to that because that is, you just explained like most of, most of my life after the band, like, you know, somewhat during and and after, you know, I was, I was 18 when I joined the band. I like finished, the agreement was that I was going to finish my freshman year of college and then hop right on the road. And that's literally like finished and then did my first full U S tour, um, and had never been in bands before either. So this Mm. was like a completely new experience for me. And, you know, what you said to like, you know, like you come home and like your friends are doing their thing, your family's doing their thing. I was lucky enough to have, you know, my family was on board with me the whole time. So I was always lucky to have that. But the biggest thing that was hard was like life moves on, whether you're there or not, right? Your friends are finishing college while you're not. Your friends are finding perhaps the person they're going to spend the rest of their life with while you're not. Um, And those are some of the sacrifices you make to kind of live this, if it's your dream, right? Like to live this dream, to live this lifestyle. Um, But then fast forward to when your band does break up or something does happen, you know, it's that like age old term of like, what do you do when they stop chanting your name? You know, like, And it's exactly that. Like I struggled hard with that after my band broke up where it was like, you know, like I went from, like you said, like showing up to places and people treating you like a certain way, right? Getting you stuff, doing things for you, people paying to listen to you sing, right? Like I never thought in a million years, even though like the, the band, like Bedlight as a whole was established Like when I joined, I never thought like anyone would care the way they did and still care the way they do. But after that was gone, 
that's that's tough. That transition is tough. Like all of the like the especially if it's not like a a good breakup either. Right. Right. Like all of a sudden, these people who you've you've traveled, you've put your safety in their hands. You've put so much in into each other's lives where they're no longer there. The fans don't really care as much as they did. Your label, that that's done. There is no conversation with Josh anymore, right? Like there is no um, conversation with with anyone for that matter. And you become very lost. You you probably isolate. For me, I became an anxious mess mm. where. I was like, music's done. My dream is over. This is never going to happen for me again. And I like, you start to think like, oh, I wasted all that time. I wasted all of my life where I could have went and gone to college and done things the, the regular route that all my friends did. But I think as you, as you create some distance between that and in your life, you can then look back and go, no, no, no. I'm not going to take away from, from the moment spent with the fans. Right. I'm not going to take away from these experiences of like, you know, I mean, there's one that just is forever burned in my brain. And it's something that like for a long time, I hated it. And now I look back on it because I'm so far removed and go, what a, what a moment was, Bedlight was on tour with Newfound Glory, and it was Newfound Glory, Census Fail, and the receiving end of Sirens was the mm. was the package that we were. I think we did about like two weeks on that tour, and that was like the we were kind of thrown that bone of like, see if you guys can hang. Mm. Um, you put this new album out, see if you can hang. And I'll never forget looking over, and I just see Jordan from Newfound Glory with a glass of wine in his hand, watching my whole set. <laughs> and it's something that like later, like when I first did it, I was willing to give that up. I was willing to give that memory up and say, this is so bad that I don't want to think about that anymore. And now when I look back at it, I was like, what a special time. What a special time to have that that core memory of like this dude who's like a monster in his scene looking at my, like caring about what's coming out of my mouth and what I'm putting out on stage. So yeah, I think at first it hurts and it hurts a lot um, because all those people that supported you very quickly go away. But I then think the more and more distance and the more you work on yourself and your identity and who you are outside of this thing that that's created, um, it benefits you a lot. Well, I think like something you said kind of in that is a, I don't want to call it a theme necessarily, but just, I guess a concept for lack of a better term. I feel like I got a sneeze coming on too. So that sucks. And I know I'm going to be anticipating it. Um, But like I working in, in the bar service industry again, in the last couple of years, you know, one of the the bars that I, I still go to as a regular, but like the bar I worked at, like dive bars are great because they, create like a sense of family. Cause you're just so used to seeing the regulars that have been there for 10, 15, mm-hmm. 20, 30 years. And it is a really close knit group of people, but something I kind of realized at times, like when some of the regulars, you know, would be shitty to us that it's like, you know, and the, the one of the first things they'd say was like, well, I tip you really good or I pay you really good or things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
oh, we're not friends. This is a transactional relationship. <laughs> like you pay, you pay me or you pay the bartender, you pay us, whatever. And when you get mad at something or when, you know, we don't do something your way, then all of a sudden you like to throw that out, like that monetary, like thing over our head, like, oh, well, I pay you. So like, this is what, you know, how the relationship works. And it was one of those that like, when I saw that happening more and more, it just kind of was interesting to think about that as an idea, like just transactional relationships that if there wasn't something to be gained in either way, like from me to you or you to me, that once that's kind of been severed, it just is interesting to watch how many people just go away. And you're like, wow, okay. Like were any of these relationships really real or like have any weight to them? Because in some instances, like there are, things like that that have happened where I've been kind of caught off guard. And I was like, Oh man, I thought we were like better friends than this, but I, mm-hmm. I stopped reaching out. And then I realized all of a sudden, like I'm pulling 95, 99% of the, the relationship weight of like making sure it's intact and going. And then it just kind of became a point where around the same time of thinking about transactional relationships and just realizing like, man, like I, you're cool. Like I'll hang out with you at the bar, but like we're not friends. And I understand this to be exactly the way it is. And if I stop coming here, then we'll probably never communicate or see each other. And that's totally fine. And understanding and being okay with that, with that sense of like cutting people out or the loss of it. But then adversely, even the idea of like, I'm going to like stop upholding my end of a relationship and just kind of see like how solid is it? Cause if it isn't me pushing or pulling for it and the other person doesn't want it either, then I, that, that just tells me like, I don't need to invest anymore in this and to reinvest myself somewhere else where I'll get it back. And I feel like that, as you were kind of explaining, you know, about how for a while you were looking at the past sort of as like it was a, a negative thing that happened to you, all the, the things that you didn't do because mm-hmm. you all the time to do this. And to me, it's like I hear that. And that's the first thing I think of is I'm like, oh, man, you you got to the idea of transactional relationships and realizing that people that maybe you thought were really tight with you aren't. You learned that lesson probably 10, 15, 20 years before I did. And so on that spectrum, I go, I'm kind of jealous that you were able to get there faster than me. But on the same token, I I feel like maybe if I would have learned that lesson when you did, I wouldn't have been able to handle it as well as I have now having almost 20 years maybe from that. So it's interesting that when, when things happen to you in your life and like how, when is it better for it to have happened when you're young and you can kind of correct it and take it with you moving forward or having it happen to you late in life and then just kind of going like, shit, I kind of wish I would have known that earlier and just maybe I would have been way happier now. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, it's tough, right? Because from where I'm speaking from, from the band standpoint is you're led to believe that these aren't transactional relationships so much. You are living and breathing with these people. Um, and I'm speaking just solely band members, right? Or your tour manager, your merch guy, your merch person, whoever it might be. And you're sitting there going like, this is someone I trust to like get me somewhere. Or this is someone I trust like if something's going to go down in this like shady town that we're in, <laughs> I trust that you're going to be there for me. And yeah, like there were there was a sense of that. Uh, but I think I think early on, like I struggled with that for sure. It took me a bit to figure it out like, there was a means to an end and there was a reason for these relationships, right? Like when I, when I joined the band, there was a reason I joined it and there was a reason they accepted me in, right? There was a reason why 
Josh said, okay, I'm willing to give you guys a chance to make another record. Um, but I also know that like, I wasn't going to invite Josh to my wedding, right? Like, or I wasn't, you know, there weren't these things that were going to happen. So it, it, it was a shot to the gut realizing like, wait, you're, you're not my best friend. Oh, wait, you're not, you don't have like my best interest at your, like anymore. Um, so yeah, like realizing that early on was good. And I think, I think now I'm able to like sniff it out yeah. more or less and, and then be okay with what is transactional and what is not be okay with saying like, okay, I know this isn't, I know there's a reason for this mm. and that's okay. And I can be okay with that. And I know this one is less of that and more of, no, there's a deep connection here. We care about each other and I want the best for this person as opposed to, yeah, like the minute you stop holding your upholding your end of the bargain, I'm cool with it. I'm moving on. So it, it, I mean, it was, a, it was a hard pill to swallow at first, but I think you, I think you eventually get there and you eventually like kind of, you just start to understand things in a different way. I mean, I would, would hope so. Like, I mean, I know that's something as I've gotten older and I've said it to countless friends, you know, looking back, I feel like some people just don't take accountability and, you know, I've said this <laughs> somewhat recently and I actually, kind of pinpointed where like this thought has been coming from, but you know, it's wild to me listening to a lot of different podcasts of, you know, musicians and band people. And the one, the more habitual one I see this on is doc Coyle from uh, bad wolves, uh, but also okay. um, God forbid. And because he's in a band that like goes out with five finger death punch and, you know, breaking Benjamin and like a lot of these like arena bands, you know, he'll have on people from back when he used to be touring in the late, mid to late nineties, early two thousands. And you'll see these dudes and everything that they talk about is like, well, if this, this A&R dude didn't fuck us, if we would have gotten this label, this deal, if we would have gotten this tour or like this thing, like a push on Rio, like it was always like things that like, like taking no ownership of any of the part mm -hmm. of the process that they had a hand in. Like maybe if you didn't take that giant advance, and instead tried to do something where you took that money and now they the label had more money to invest in promoting your record, putting you on better tours, but you took the money up front and you screwed yourself. But instead of having that ability to go, you know, we were poised to do something really good, but unfortunately we wanted the money right now. And so mm -hmm. we weren't thinking long-term. We weren't like thinking down the road about a career. We were just, I want that bag right now. And to me, I feel like there's so many examples of that I see where people aren't willing to take ownership of their own hand. And I don't want to say their demise, but the downfall of bad decisions and then using those to learn from. And I feel like constantly when I hear people talk about something, it's it's things happening to them. Oh, well, I, I had no mm -hmm. way to know. That. Like, And it's it's so reactionary. And I just feel like it's like to a degree, like you probably could go back and think about it. And there's probably a point where you could have gone, if I didn't make this one decision, this domino effect probably wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. Good, bad, or indifferent. But I don't think people want to take responsibility for their own their own actions and, and look inward for answers a lot of times. I think they want it's easier to be the victim at most cases. And it's and it's easier to put it on someone like sure, there there are people out there that you're going to work with that like are more or less out to get you. 
And like, you know, and we, we've heard it time and time again, you know, I'm obviously not going to put anyone on blast, but like, there's plenty of label owners out there and management out there and, and people like that, that I've worked with that other people I know have worked with that, that truly are to blame for a lot of things and they deserve it. Um, but I agree with you. Like there, there's a certain point where like for me, and this is probably why I have the relationship I have with Josh is that I understood my role in, in where the band went and how far we got. I understood our role and the things that we didn't take or didn't do. We, we decided to make the record we wanted to make. And we were lucky enough to have someone who facilitated that for us. If we wanted more money after the fact, or we wanted, we should have went and made a different record with a different person, right? Like, we were in a state-of-the-art studio in in Georgia with two, you know, Zach, um, Zach Odom and Kenneth Mount, who were just coming off of like in the pop world, they were coming off of like the cartel record, which was like a giant record, you know, like yeah. they were coming off of just recording like Mayday Parade's biggest record, you know, and now we're in there and they're, I'm sure they're not giving us any favor, you know, like they're not, they're not giving us a discount and we decided to do that. So I understood like, we're not going to see any money from this. Like we're not going to recoup the amount of money that was here. We just have to put ourselves in the position to be marketable and succeed. And that's what we tried to do for, for a while. And granted, like I'm sure if we sat down, me, you and Josh, there's plenty of conversation that could be had of like, Hey Josh, remember this time? Hey man, remember this where we could, where like, why, why was our CD reviewed on lamb go? You know, like that was not the, that was not the vibe that we were going for. And <laughs> lamb goat had a field day with, with it, you know, like, and, and being in like revolver and outburn and all those things where like, but they're, they're choices that are made. And like, yeah, like you have to take ownership. Like if you wanted all that money up front, then you can't expect that all of a sudden someone to go give you another hundred thousand dollars or whatever it might be. Like, like I was just happy when like Trustkill sent posters to the venues, you know, like I was pumped. <laughs> I was pumped when we got there and our posters were up, you know, like, because I was grateful. And I think, I think some people lose the plot, you know, like, and mm. forget why they got into it or forget what it's about. And I get once money gets in there, it's, it's, it's just, it's a different situation, but yeah, like there, there are plenty of moments where I can look back and go like, Oh yeah, we're being offered this, but it's not nearly enough right now. And, and in hindsight, I look at it and go, yeah, but we would have been in the long term. We would have had this deal with this and we would have had that. And then like, Essentially, I, I guess if we're done, like upstream, like we would have been upstream and maybe then we would have made a third record and you could go on and on and on and on. But at that moment, that's not what we needed, what we wanted. And I own that. I was in that room, you know, like I was in that room. I didn't sign the paper. So like I own that. I don't blame that on somebody <laughs> else. Like, yeah. I think it's interesting. I'm obviously not going to name the name, but you know, talking to someone that now is in a more higher profile band than the one he has left. It's, it was interesting. Cause I had kind of asked him that thing where I was like, 
you know, last time I saw him at X venue, he was like, yeah, man, that was a really fucking terrible show. <laughs> it was, that's about how the whole tour went. And then I was like, yeah. And then, you know, one of the bands you were on tour with broke up like right after that tour. He's like, yeah. And then as he was talking, he goes, you know, it's funny. I can pinpoint where our career path, like could have gone. And then where it went down to one tour. And I was like, oh, yeah. And he was like, yeah, we were offered X tour and we said no. And he goes, we opted to go for this other one, which was more in line with the rest of our friends and our scene and all this stuff. And there are a few other bands that are now at like the top of our scene still are. They opted to take that tour and it just busted doors open for them for a a larger demographic. Mm -hmm. And is why these bands are still like at the top of the, the, the genre. All these like, you know, 10, 15 years later. And he's and I was like, can you really pinpoint it to that one? He goes, a hundred percent. He goes, because this band, this band, this band, this band, we're all from our scene. They all did that tour. Who are the biggest ones still out of that scene? I go, still those bands. And he goes, he goes, it's because they played with, you know, the like the My Chemical Romances. They they branched out and played with a more crossover type of crowd. Mm-hmm. He goes like to where it's like, are we the like the most aggressive band ever? No, but in comparison to what we were playing against, that stood out. It was accessible enough. Like they had the hooks to get people into a more aggressive style of music than what they were used to hearing, and it worked. And it's just so interesting that it's like, like to me, I remember telling him, I was like, it's really refreshing to hear you say that because it's like, again, more oftentimes than not, you hear oh man like it's because of whatever like whatever other reason you want to put it on but he goes the fact that you're able to pinpoint it to a tour and go i knew we should have done the tour in the long term but it was going to be less money i think it was also another Mm -hmm. factor like they were going to take less money to go on that run and it wasn't guaranteed like you didn't know what was going to happen because it was the uncertainty of being on a, a tour like that to then they did the tour they did it went well it was a successful tour but that's about the cap of as far as they ever were to kind of grow right. their career. Cause they just hit the ceiling of, well, now you're this, you're these things. And it's been funny. Cause like we, he and I have been talking recently and I was like, you know, I kind of feel the same. Like I've hit this sort of same ceiling with this podcast where it's like, I love so many other kinds of music, but unfortunately like either because of like the name I have, or just the fact that I started with the genre, I knew enough people into where I could easily get guests and so forth that it's like become like, increasingly difficult to try to get anyone in any other respect of the scene. Like, you know, I don't care about saying this now because it probably won't happen. But the fact that I even got an email back as quickly as I did means that maybe it will. But I realized Rebecca black was uh, put out a new record, her first record Mm. uh, this past Friday. And I like randomly, she came up in like a Twitter feed or something. And I was like, this album cover looks way different than I remember Rebecca black being like, it's a little bit more adult. And I was like, there's no way this is her first record. Cause like that Friday song came out like what, like 12 years ago. How do you yeah. have a single that's viral and you don't capitalize on it for 12 years uh, to put out your first record and listening to it. I was like, Oh, it's, it's not what I was expecting it to be. And I'd be interested to, you know, sit down and talk with her about, you know, the growth of her as an artist. Cause I think the Friday song, I think she like composed and wrote all that. And it's, I mean, it's kind of obvious as a young person kind of just, it's simple. It's basic. It is whatever. Right. But if she's kind of producing and being more involved with, with this new record of hers and seeing the sonic growth and just the growth of her as an artist and all that, like that's interesting to me. I like, I want to talk about it. And some of like, there's a song on the record that's a little bit heavy that I was like, 
you got some low tune guitars on that. Like I could see this being a little <laughs> bit more of a metal song. Like it's interesting. And to me, like that might be someone. And I literally said in the email, I was like, I know if you Google my show, you're probably like, why the fuck do you want Rebecca black on your show? But I was like, I like music like this. I love all kinds of music and I love talking to different people from different realms. So I'd love to talk to her. Chances are it's not going to happen. The publicist just was like, oh, she's super busy right now. Hit us back up in a couple months when the, the tour is done, which is fine. But it's one of those where I'm trying so hard to like change the narrative of what this thing is, because it's like, again, looking inward, I can sit there and go, oh, I keep trying and, and everyone just says no. So I'm just going to give up and I'm not going to like try anymore. Or I could just be like, fuck it. Worst case thing you're going to tell me is no. So I'm just going to ask and maybe I'll luck into a yes. And that'll be awesome. And hopefully it pans out and it just keeps growing into something else. Yeah, I think I I, I like what you said there, which is like, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to get a no, right? And I think that's so much of like why when when I think about bands especially younger bands and even my own time is like we're we're so far removed from like asking questions we think that like they we should just be provided for um (laughs) because we're signed to this label and when you get signed this is what happens and this is all that you know and you know one of one of my biggest things was i always asked Cause I always was like, well, what are they going to do? Tell, tell us no, you know, like, and then we, but then we just move on. Right. And like, that's like, that's, that's a great thought to have, like, at least ask, right. Be curious about it and, and see, and see what happens because what if Rebecca Black's publicist gets back to you and says, absolutely. And then it's like, but if you never asked that question, because you were just sitting there going like, ah, well, you know, like she, she'd never come on something like this. Like if they, if they look at the prior episodes, they're going to be like, well, she has no business being on this. But if you don't ask, you never know. And who knows in three, four, five months, you might hit them back up and they might go, absolutely. We'd love to have her on because it's like, it'll be a little different for her as well. And she'll yeah. be able to reach a different audience. And I think it goes back to me listening to Josh, Josh's episode where a different grouping of people will hear her story and go, wait, you're not just the viral person with the Friday song where I think when people listen to Josh's episode, it's like, well, he's not just that guy that we read that blurb of from, or this statement from the band. There's a lot more like people love to go after Josh. I mean, if you, I don't know if you looked at his like Reddit AMA, but no. like, <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious. I mean, there are certain things on there that are just hilarious. And then there's people that genuinely want to know about, about this guy who, for all intents and purposes, like had one of the most giant labels with some of the most influential bands in, in that scene. Like, there's no question about that. Like you can't, you can't deny that Josh had his hand in and trust kill at large had their hand in shaping yeah. a genre and a movement, you know, and years later, there are still people who are so drawn to, to that. I mean, now with Josh's new deal that he struck and he's got all of the, these things back. I mean, just the amount of people that have flocked to be able to go, wow, I can stream this record. Wow. Vinyl's coming out. And 
from listening to your podcast, it seems like there's a lot more that's going to be going on in the future with him as far as, you know, I don't know what tr- what the hell Trust Kill Fest is going to be like, but like that sounds cool. Um, you know, yeah, he and- sent me a mock-up flyer. He was like, this because I said the same thing. I was like, dude, since you said that, my mind has just been racing with what Trust Kill Fest could look like, especially right. considering you're the guy who did, you know, uh, Hellfest. So it's like you have already years of experience of doing a big fest, like I think is what you're thinking of. But if you're solely going off a of Trust Kill Records bands, like, dude. And then he sent me like a mock-up. He's like, this isn't a, like an official lineup. This is in my mind, like what the perfect, like first trust skill fest would look like. And I, and I even made the comment. I was like, dude, if you even got like a fourth of this, yeah, right. <laughs> like the internet would shit its pants and like, you probably sell this thing out like immediately. Yeah. And I was like, let alone if you got all of it. Yeah. I mean, just the, the catalog, I mean, it's in, it's insane. And like, and that was like a big, you know, I joined my band, after they were like established, right. They had already put out a record, but their whole reasoning for assigning to that band, they had other offers. There were other offers there from labels that probably would have made a lot more sense for a band. who had a person who like sang, right? Yeah. Like the first singer of my band is one of my favorite singers in the whole world. The only reason I joined that band is because I fell in love with that guy as a singer. Um, and the only reason they did that was because they were Jersey kids who grew up on Jersey hardcore and went, wow, we can be a part of this legacy. Let's sign. And I'm sure yeah. if you ask any of them at that time, now, many years later, when we're talking about pinpointing places in our lives that where maybe we should have went left instead of going right, they might tell you, maybe we should have went with a fueled by ramen or maybe we should have went with a, yeah, like equal or a hopeless or a fearless or whatever that might've been that were more in tune with the record when I joined that we were trying to make, but to them it was more like, wait, we're going to join this label that had these bands (laughs) that I listened to when I was 15 years old. And now I'm going to be, I'm going to be in the same sentence Right. That's probably one of those pinpoint moments. But yeah, like I think, yeah, it's, it, it's just, it's just one of those things where I think, you know, when we, when we look at that stuff, like I hear, I heard, I heard so much in that interview that that's what made me want to talk to you because I was like, this is stuff like I was on that label for quite some time. Like this is stuff that I never knew. This is like the Josh. I didn't even know this side of, of Josh. Right. Like, and it was cool to listen to that. And it was cool to see the person beyond the not so great blurb that's there. Because like I said, there's, there's two sides to every story. And, and I think for the most part, it sounds like he's really trying to years later, bring it back to his initial mission, which was giving these bands a platform and being, having trust kill be about, the music and the bands that he signed as opposed to at this point in his life, still sitting there going like this money and that money and this thing and that thing where it's like, let's just let it be about something other than that right now in our lives. I think the thing that was always interesting to me, and I I think I'd even said this in not so direct terms because I didn't want to essentially scare Josh away from wanting to talk to me. <laughs> Because I knew at some point we were definitely going to talk about the end of Trust Kill because it, it felt very 
odd. It seemed like it just kind of happened out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, the thing I didn't really say in my chat, but you know, obviously I mentioned uh, knowing Jason from It Dies Today, their second vocalist. And I know a big problem that that band was having. And again, could be totally different sides of the story, but from the story from someone I knew and I basically grew up with uh, in my local music scene, it was the record's done. Trust kills just dragging their fucking feet. Like we went out and did a warp tour. We did a tour of pop. Mm -hmm. Like we had been basically pushing and we put out a video and the first single and the record doesn't even have a release date. Like it's been done for like six, seven, eight months. So like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. And I know the frustrations that like, and again, this is not me talking out of turn, but this is just literally the conversation I remember having with a friend of mine, which is just like, dude, where, like, where the fuck is this record? Like you brought it over mostly finished over a year ago when you were home last. And it's like, now you've done all this touring. Like where the fuck is this record? Cause in most senses, you build up and do these big look tours right before a record drops. So that way you can get as many eyes on it. Yeah. Try to do your first week numbers, you know, ship out, whatever, all that kind of stuff. And he was just like, dude, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like it has completely squandered all momentum that we have been building for the release of this, the, this record dropping. And I mean, subsequently the record dropped and I, from what I remember, it didn't really do much. Cause I think, like they had already been on the road for like a year, year and a half. And it's like the record wasn't even out. Then they had no tours lined up from what I remember. And then it was just like, they just kind of went away. And it was just like this thing where it's like, I feel like there's so many, again, narratives of that where it's like, Oh, Josh buried us or whatever. Right. And I'm sure like potentially there probably is some of that. That's, I don't want to say he's burying his, his bands, but I think, like I said, there becomes the thing when it becomes about business that, and as Josh was saying, like sometimes like I'd have to pay this and then I'd have to move funds around to pay for other things because we just weren't making money like we thought we were and projections weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And it's like, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't come right out and say it, but it's like, when you say I'm projected to do blank, we're expecting to send out mm -hmm. this money because this is what it costs, but now it costs double to get into to target or FYE or whatever and get an end cap or to, to put out a full page ad and outburn or whatever now costs double than what it used to. And so it's like, potentially if you're having and your, your costs are doubling and tripling and so forth, and you have to be strategic and figure out how to do things. I could see that potentially there was a, okay, let's hold off on putting this record out until I can kind of get the money to really give it the push it needs. But maybe this next record will be the one that does it for the label and helps us bring in an influx of money. Right. You know, it's like you look at Roadrunner and for as much as people want to shit on Nickelback for being on Roadrunner or now Slipknot or Killswitch, that it's like those three bands, and I'll mainly say Slipknot and Nickelback, Nickelback was able to make it to where Roadrunner had enough money to then sign your favorite underground band and put out a really great sounding record with Ross Robinson or whatever. But it took that deal and then being on that label for things like that to work. Like there's the, the top of the, like top of the pyramid all the way down and everyone kind of has their role, but like it's an ecosystem that needs to kind of exist. And it's funny to me when people are like, Oh, fucking Nickelback. And I'm like, dude, Nickelback probably paid for a lot of people's, a lot of people's oh, careers. Yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. So to me, it's like when I hear stories like that and in, in the blurbs, like you're saying about Josh, it's like, I'm sure there's a more human element to the story. What is it? And that was the interesting thing to me about it is I wanted to, I wanted to kind of see how that was going to be. I wanted to see if there was a bit of a redemptive story. Cause in the last year or so, it seems like Truskill has been kind of making a, a comeback. Didn't know for what reason or what capacity, 
And so to me, it's like, I think when I got done with the interview and I did my, my intro outro to me, it's like, it feels like this is a chance for Josh to kind of, I don't want to say right the wrongs, but right the wrongs essentially. I, I think it's a place also too, for where it finally can be like an open and honest dialogue. Right. I feel like the thing that gets lost with artist and label or artist and any upper management, you know, thing is that there no like there's no open and honest conversation right like i wonder how much turmoil there would be or whatever if there was a conversation of like hey listen this is the reason your record is getting pushed um pushed back or this is the reason something's not coming out um and i don't know if those discussions were had right like i don't know if if he said like listen we have to we have to move this and move this and move this. And then your record will come out. And I'm very sorry about that. That could have happened. It could have never happened. But I think, yeah. you know, part, part of that is that like being an open, being open and honest and saying like, Hey, like this is what I can do. And this is what I can't do. And right now, like I'm in that can't do <laughs> Yeah. Um, area of it because I think any label is always searching for that. Like I, I always wonder like how much like, you know, like assigning like a, like a bullet for my Valentine um, was that like, like the one that was like, that's going to be the one that's going to be our nickel back, you know, and that's going right. to be the thing that takes off because they had that more of that mainstream metal thing going on. They were very extremely marketable. Um, and but I don't believe that it panned out that way, obviously, because we're not here sitting talking about, you know, Treskill still being on top of its game. But I think I think what came out of all of that, and, and like you said, the the in interview is right. Maybe it's not writing wrongs, but in a sense, it's trying to trying to put a better spin on what like what what's going on going forward as far as there is no this this is the deal everyone you know like i'll be the first to say like i got the text message this is the deal this is what's happening this is what what we're offering and you either could take it or you can either not and i was at this point like yeah why the hell why wouldn't i and why wouldn't right. any band say yes you're gonna you're gonna want to pay me even if it's this amount whatever it's it's still whatever amount of money i didn't have before um yep. anything's better than zero and if you can make that money because people are still this many years later listening to your record streaming your record like you know like it, it's it's wild to me like i'm always like I'll look at like Spotify numbers and, and different things like that. And I'm always like, how the hell do we still have this many listeners? Like how, how are people still listening? And then like Josh will send me something from like this, like South African radio host, like that randomly hit him up that like is talking about like my record. And I'm like, and he's like, I'm so glad it's back up and like all this stuff. And I'm like, Holy crap, man. Like that's, that's insane. But yeah, I think, I think what he's doing now is super cool. I think it's, it's really awesome. It gives, I think for fans of the scene, as well as the bands that, that he's had on his label, but even fans, it gives them something now 
like you start to, you get a little nostalgic, right? Like you get, you know, you start to maybe listen to something you weren't going to listen to for the next three years, but you're like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to listen to that record today because trust kills back. What? And we don't get that. Right. Like a lot of those older labels with the exception of the ones that are still kicking, God bless them. Right. Like good for them. Like, you know, they, they die and they go off into the void and that's it. You don't, you're not going to hear from them. Like you're not going to hear from victory again. Right. Like that's, you're not, that's, I don't think that's ever coming back. But the fact that like Josh worked his ass off to get these things back because he wanted to extend that legacy and have some, and and change the narrative maybe that was out there to me, it's admirable. And, And I know I'm, maybe I'm in the minority there, but like, I definitely think it's, it's, it's super cool. Um, especially at this point. I mean, I think it just speaks to where the beginning of everything started at where it's just like, he was a fan and just happened to be able to facilitate and do things on a different level than most everybody else who probably felt the exact same way or wanted to be a part of these things. Just yeah. like Josh, like, like, you know, like I said, so much of Josh's story is literally mine, except for, you know, I took my booking career as far as I wanted to dealt with some local ego shit. And then I was like, I'm done. I don't want to, I'm like when I pay a local band, almost $2,000 to play a local venue with all locals. And you can't even remember my name, like uh, four days later when I run into you and it's like, what other show, like, are you playing like a super nice venue? You almost like, we were like 60 people away from selling out a four or 420 cap room with all locals. Right. And like a, a normal like touring like budget like cost for the tickets and so forth to where like everyone made like at least a grand or more like every band right and it's like to see like the local egos that like some of these bands have because they just think like we're we're the best fucking thing and it's like man i just i've i've booked bands that have been around way longer than you guys and have done way more and they were such so much easier to deal with like no drama no nothing like just it was like i'm done to then like you know writing about shows and such and then now doing this it's like eventually we kind of found our way through doing other things and sometimes i feel like you know i always talk about pivot pivot points where it's like if something's not working but you're still passionate about that thing realize that something's not working or what it what it is and then pivot and for me it's like i did the band thing i still enjoy playing music like mm-hmm. i just don't enjoy Maybe it's like the instances of the people that I played with, but it's like I just didn't enjoy my time trying to navigate through four, three or four other people's things on a weekly, daily basis. And it's like, man, it's just so much easier. Like, I want to pick up a guitar. I'm going to play this. Yeah. And I don't have to, like, get into an argument with someone about how it doesn't work with what they're doing. Like, I don't care. Same with booking shows. Like, everyone's fine with it until the day of. And now all of a sudden it's like, well... Um, can we, I know we said we'd open, but now we want a headline or like now we want a 55 minute set instead of the 45 that we were guaranteed like that. We like just all this shit. And you're just like, I just, I want to deal with people. <laughs> I'm yeah, tired of and, it. Yeah. And, and I like what you said there, like pivot points and like knowing when something has like ran its course, like, and how hard that is, right. How hard that pivot is. Like, I can't imagine, like it was hard when, when my band was done and I had to pivot, like, And I can't imagine, you know, for other people, what it's like for them and like the, the mental health struggles that that could like, like if we're thinking about trust kill, like here's a guy who like started this thing in his parents' basement, right? Like 
and came out and did a, and and how hard of a thing it was to say this is done and I need to do something else now. Yeah. And and I'm all done. And then obviously like it went on to like bullet tooth and and all of those things. But like I'm sure Trust Kill was the baby. You know, yeah. that was the first that was the first baby. That was like, you know, all of those bands in the basement, all of those vinyls, all of those things. It was, you know, discovering all of those all of those bands that went on to become wildly successful or wildly influential, you know, when you think about like, you know, bleeding through, or you think about 18 visions or, you know, like just, just like off the top of my head, like, you know, even like, like walls of Jericho, which like, I feel like we're like pioneers of, of that time. Fun fact, my pop band once opened for <laughs> walls of Jericho at the masquerade in Atlanta, Georgia and that was a fun show. So those are moments where I go, whose fault was that? Um, when, I, when I think about who in the world booked that show um, to where we have people literally like wanting to drag us off that stage. But um, but yeah, I can't imagine what it's like to pivot off of those, that that thing that was like his his identity. I mean, yeah. I mean, the guy was called Josh Trustkill for most of his life. You know, like, like that's who you were. That was your identity. You were like, you are part of that. You were ingrained in that culture. So it's it's just one of those things where I think, you know, realizing you can you can shift, you can change, you could do things in a different way. Just because this thing didn't work out doesn't mean you can't take another. Like, I. I know now in my life, I can't drop everything, start a band, join a band and go on tour. Right. Doesn't mean that music's not a part of my life. Now as a mental health counselor, I integrate music into the things that I do with, with a client or I constantly am trying to like rewrite and fuse music and mental health together. It's, it's how I still utilize music in my life. And that's the pivot that I had to make to feel fulfilled, right? That like, I'm a musician. I was musician was the first thing I ever was. And in order to feel fulfilled at 35, this is what I need to do. I needed to take what was important in music and fuse it into my life. Now. Um, it's not, it's not touring 365 days a year, but it's still keeping music alive in my life. And obviously like, connecting and talking to people such as yourself or still being able to talk to Josh or be able to talk to certain bands that have no business talking to me. Like they don't have to, to, you know, like they don't have to talk to me. Like even though all the time doing this, (laughs) even though we, we toured a million years ago, they don't have to give me the time of day, but they do. Um, and that's, that's super cool. Like those, like you were talking about before, like those pinpoint moments, like, I could, I could do the same thing that like the person you were talking about did, right? Like where you look at that, that point where you could have followed this way and done that. And you probably maybe still would be alive and kicking, right? Like just before we made that decision, we did a co-headliner with Mayday Parade. Mayday Parade is still playing shows. They're still putting out records. They're still sought after by yep. festivals and things like that. We 
at that point, we went a different way. We made a different kind of record. We wanted to go a different way. We could have went that way. And maybe things would have been significantly different, right? Like I remember playing headlining shows over bands like All Time Low. And there's a band that had like a Hot 100 billboard charting record. And I'm sure doing pretty well for themselves, you know, like a lot of those bands. But you make the choices and, and and you go with what you felt at that time was the best decision. And, you know, I think... I think the moral of the story is like, it's okay to like admit that this is done. Where do I go next? Well, so, and I'm, I'm for those that might watch this, when I looked off for a second and was typing, it's because I always reference this TED talk that my wife showed me, but I never remembered the person's name. So I was Googling it. So at least for once I could be like, oh, it's this person. Look it up. Um, but it's uh, Emily Wapnick. Um, she was talking about how some of us don't have the one true calling and she, and beginning of her Ted talk, she talks about how when we grow up, everyone asks us, what do we want to be singularly? And there Mm. always seems to be this, this thing where those of us who were at, like, you know, we've been talking about like a pivot point of sorts where societally it's often looked at as like wandering around aimlessly with no purpose where it's like, well, you started this thing and then you, you, dropped it and then you picked up this new thing and you were all about that for a while and you dropped it then you picked up this other thing and then you dropped it and so she ended up coining or i don't know if she coined the term but it's how i remember the episode she was like there's some of us that i think are multi-potentialites and basically it's not that we have any one set path but we are fascinated and we are we thrive on learning new things and picking up new skills and new hobbies and adding them into our repertoire of what makes us who we are and unique but that there's also shouldn't be any shame in realizing that like, I'm just not into this anymore. I'm going to go find something else. And maybe that mm. would be my new thing. But it's also kind of what gives us maybe the creative spark, because maybe something that you started getting into, you realize like, Oh, these are very similar. And so you can pull off of the the things you've learned or experiences you have from that and then go further with this thing. And it's really funny when I think back to at least my own childhood about how a lot of and I'll speak for myself <laughs> as a, as a non-professional anything, uh, but just a, someone who thinks back on a lot of my life and weird circumstances, just of how weird my childhood was. But it's like, you know, being born with a cleft lip and palate, it's like, and a heart murmur and all those kind of things. Like, you know, my parents from as early as I can remember, you know, constantly were told like, don't be surprised if he doesn't make it. And then going to different, you know, yearly checkups for, for people with my condition. And it's like, you're being shown by professionals. Like here's normal. Like here's like your height, weight, like all these things. Here's normal. Here's you. Here's also, Mm. you're not going to probably be able to do. Here's the things you're not like, just things like that. And to be told at such a young age, you're not normal. This is what normal is. These aren't things you're going to do. And to not have you like, and I just kind of think back and I'm like, how did anyone think that that was okay? Like to, that that's not going to have some sort of mental fuck up for someone like myself or when I look back and it's like, why, like when I went to therapy and it was like, why don't you feel like you deserve these things? Why do you have like imposter syndrome or do you feel like you, that you do? And I go, mm-hmm. and I pinpointed it back to that. I go, I guess it probably starts from being a kid being told that I'm not normal and I never will be. And I'll never be like all these other people that are quote unquote normal. So it's like, how would I not feel like I don't belong 
in anything I do, even if I am successful, because am I only successful within the parameters of the people I'm being judged against? Like it's, it's a really, really weird fucked up thing. I realized as I got older, I was like, wow, like why, why do we do that? Like why, why did we think that was okay? And have there been way more under like unresolved psychological damage being done from things like that? Yeah. I mean, to, to speak to the, to the first part, you know, I definitely think, you know, we're always, like you said, we're always asked like, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, like, and it's, and it's always singular. It is always, I want to be a policeman. I want to be a fireman. I want to do this. I want to do that. And, and you're taught like, and I, and I always reference this, like with a lot of kids that I grew up with, they, they all went to the same school. They all went to the same junior high. They all went to the same high school. They all went to the same college and ended up becoming the same thing um, because that's what they were taught. And that's what their parents did. Right. And it like a hive mind. And it, sort of. Yeah. And it takes, it takes a different kind of parent or whatever to go like when you are curious for them to go, go ahead and do it. Yeah. Like I was lucky enough for my, when I told my parents, I'm going to go travel the, the country in a, in a van with four other guys I ha- I've never met before in my life. They were like, go ahead. And like, I look back at it now and I'm like, huh? Like maybe like, I don't know if I'd as a dad now, I don't know if I'd be able to be <laughs> like, yeah, go ahead. That like, th- that's the perfect time. So, but I I'm, I'm all about, you know, doing something until you don't want to do it anymore. And then you move on because you're curious about the next thing or you're curious about the next thing. That's the only reason I am where I am today is because I was, I wanted to be curious about what else was out there for me as opposed to going to the all boys Catholic high school and eventually becoming like the local sanitation guy. Um, or like a policeman, you know, like I didn't want to do that. I wanted, I wanted something different and I went for that and got very, very lucky with the band falling into my lap and how that worked out. You know, like I went as a fan to a show because a, a buddy of mine, Mark told me about this. They're like, this singer kind of sounds like you. Mm. And I was like, Oh, I'll check them out. And they were playing CBGBs with, a band called bleed the dream. Yeah. The confession. Um, I think roses are red was another band on that, on that tour. And the minute I heard the dude sing, I was like, I'm hooked. I'm, I'm sold literally like three days after that show, he quit. Um, <laughs> and it was and like a bulletin went out on MySpace like auditioning new singers. And there was part of me that had that like, who am I to think that I could do this or who am I to think? And I just sent like a silly message that was like, Hey, I can sing. Like, I'd love to come down. Everyone ghosted me, ignored me until the bassist James at the time decided to answer me back on like a late night on MySpace. He was like, no, nah, let's see what this guy's got going on for himself. And lo and behold, the rest is history. You know, like I went auditioned and the same day I was in the band. So it it was one of those things where, you know, I was lucky enough to have people that didn't show me all of the things I couldn't do. 
Right. But pointed out to me all of the things that regardless of my any situation I had that I could do. And I think that that's the most important thing is even when someone has something that could significantly hinder them, that we don't show that person all of the things they can't do and how many people they aren't like. It's like whether even if it's three things, here are the things that are available to you. Here is the world that's available to you. And just knowing that like you have that choice or you have those things that you can, that you can pull from, I think is so important as opposed to, like you said, sitting there and being told that you're not normal. You're not like those other kids. You won't be able to do this stuff. Would it have changed for you if it was, we're not even going to talk about the stuff you can't do. We're just going to show you the things you can do and the things you are capable of. And we're going to cultivate that. And we're going to help you, you know, we're going to help you do those things so that when you're older, you, you aren't looking back or you're not sitting there going, yeah, I'm just not going to hit this person up because they're not, they're not going to talk to me. And you're like, damn it. That's, that's 12 year old me, you know, like, you know, whereas it's like, no, no, no. What, you know, I'm going to hit this person up and see what happens. They might tell me no, but there might be a chance they say yes. So I think it's, I think a lot of it is, you know, being curious about what's out there and being willing to say like, I did this, I did this well, I've done this for a long time and it's okay to move on from it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like, I think that's the hard part too at times, like especially doing this, like doing something that essentially comes out at least once a week. Sometimes like, you know, as of right now, I put out the episode that was supposed to come out today a day early because starting tomorrow, as of when we're recording this, I'm dropping an episode Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday with a band because they're putting out a out record on Friday. So that was like a lot of fun. <laughs> I basically spent most of this mm. last week getting all of it done and all of it ready, scheduling posts and all that stuff. So like everything can be correlated with them and what they're doing. And it was something I always wanted to do, like work with a band pre like leading up to a release, like to the week or to the day. And it's one of those things now where I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever do that again. It's so much work. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe like I did get a couple people when I like kind of just put some feelers out there. I was like, Hey, like now that all the chats are hundred percent done, I know that this is going to be how it's going to be. Like, this is like what I'm gearing up to, to next week. And like, I had a couple people reach out after the band shared the same thing that people were like, dude, I'm so stoked. I can't wait to hear this. And I was like, I mean, you say that this is like collectively six hours of me talking to four people. So I don't know. I don't know that you're going to like a hundred percent enjoy all of it. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. I don't know. Ultimately, I don't care. Like I had fun doing it. I learned yeah. something like, you know, with one of the guys, I was like, I always walk away usually from each chat with something that I just like think about. And I was like, you know, I was talking about to one of the guys about, you know, he tattoos and I was like, you know, is it hard for you to not take some of the things that people are talking about of why they got the tattoo or whatever, like the emotional baggage that sometimes comes along with that industry. Is it hard not to take it with you? And he was like, no, I, nope. He goes, I treat it just like when I used to work in kitchens, man, like, the vibe of being there is supposed to be fun and like loose and relaxed. And he goes, so leave your shit at the door, come in to have a good time, kill it, do your job. And then you fucking leave. And I was just like, it was so simplistic and profound that I was just like, huh? Fuck. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of right. 
And it was just like, it was so, like, it just was like, just the way he said it was just like, so like matter of fact and like, yeah, I mean, duh, like this is how easy it is. And I was just like, yeah, I guess it kind of is that easy. You just kind of have the, it's about how you mentally kind of approach your day or whatever the thing is. And subsequently since that, that chat, like last week, I've kind of been trying to be a little bit more of that headspace. Like where instead of like bringing my own shit to something like a, a big group gathering, it's like, all right, we're going to go out. We're going to have fun. We're going to have fun with everybody. Like, let's just, let's just do this. Don't even think about like the mm. what ifs. And that was a big thing for my therapy was, I constantly overthought I had all these what if scenarios that like never usually came to fruition, but I always wanted to be prepared for them if they did. Mm-hmm. And I remember like I've said this before on the show too, but like therapist sent me a PDF cause I did it through better help. So it wasn't like I went to somebody in person and I just remember like I opened the PDF and like the thing was like, what's like the big problem and like the big cog. And then it was all these little ones. And then it was like, fill out something for these. And I like just looked at it. And I go, oh, I get it. If I didn't have all these other ones, these other what ifs, that other, the big one doesn't just keep moving either. Like, right. it yeah. address the problem right away versus like solving all these non, non sequential like problems that don't exist. And it was just like, oh, I got it. Okay. Now let's take that and just apply it to life. Yeah, absolutely. Number one, I think the, the podcast with every band member leading up to a release is a phenomenal idea. I think, I mean, for me, like if more bands did that, that would be amazing because oftentimes, you know, and I, I experienced this, like you only talk to the singer, the front man, most of the time, or you talk to like the front man and the guitarist, right? You don't get to hear like the drummer's perspective or you don't get to hear the bassist story. Right. So like, (laughs) the thought process of like how that person, like what that album is to them or whatever, like solid idea. I hope you do it more than once because I think I just think that's cool. Like as a fan of music, if I got to hear each person's perspective on the album, what's to come, you know, what that album means to them, what it took for them to make it. That would be, that would be amazing. Um, but yeah, like I, I think, I don't know. Like I think there's a, there's a lot of like that. What if I share that with you? I'm a, I'm a big what ifer, um, and I have like a million big dreams all the time that I what if, and I'm like, well, what if I can do this or what if this doesn't happen? And like I need people to ground me and go like, take your time, <laughs> do this, like try this, you know, like. I'm lucky enough to have good people around me that I'm able to do that with, but like, it's tough. And like, I can't imagine, I can't imagine being like a band right now and, and, and having that mentality of the what ifs, because like, it's totally a different Like you want to be a band, go get big on TikTok, And then, you know, like I know a million young bands right now that like have hit me up and they're like, yeah, we're on TikTok." And we're, we're getting big on there. And I'm like, Oh man, I don't know if I would have had that in me to like do what these, these, these guys and girls and whoever are do are, are doing. Um, because it is no longer that like Josh is coming out to a show, seeing you <laughs> at a show and then wanting to sign you. It's go get a bazillion views on TikTok, have that translate to a live show. And then we'll talk if it can. If it can't, that's the age old thing, right? Like that's always been the thing. I mean, you, YouTube was first, right? Like 
there's all these people. I remember when like YouTube covers became yeah. a thing where people were doing overproduced um, covers of songs. And then they'd go out and they do a show and 10 people would show up, but they'd have 40 billion views online and they'd have a million subscribers, but no one bought a ticket. So it's like, yeah. I don't even know how these people are gauging this stuff and saying like, yeah, go get big here. And then we're going to see what happens. It's like, man, things have well, changed. It's like doing this. Like, you know, I, I, I hit it like a point in the last like year or so where I was kind of getting really burned out and fatigued of just doing this thing. And the thing that was like really f frustrating. And like, I've talked to a lot of like friends, like band friends, Cause it'll be like, Oh, look, your show's doing really great. You got someone. So you got this person. They're like, Oh man, you're like killing it. And I go, Oh yeah. The appearance would be that I'm killing it. And I was like, but it's almost like I go like, again, kind of having to step back and just kind of not being, not having like a negative mindset with this shit. But I was like, I was getting burned out because at one point it's like the show when it was like still in its infancy was pulling in, like, like at my peak was almost like 15,000 downloads a month. Right. And like, I wasn't paying for that. I still have never paid for an ad. Like I don't, everything was organic. And so it was just this thing where I was like, okay, like I kept thinking like, okay, like I feel like I'm at that point where it's like now maybe I'm on like an indie label. And if I'm pulling in these numbers, which I know are pretty good comparatively to other shows, then like, there's gotta be the thing to get me to that next step. And, and maybe it's like the next level of guests where it's like, okay, like you're kind of floating around. We'll call it like the, the a B market type band or like baby bands. And it's like, now you're starting to get way more established people consistently coming on and all this kind of other stuff. And then like right before the pandemic, I don't know what happened, but like, like it would be a struggle sometimes to get to 2000 downloads a month. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I feel like the show was infinitely better. I had better guests, like more known guests to where like the average person would be like, I've heard of that band. I've heard of that band. I know that person, like more consistency in that regard. And I was like, I don't know like where 13,000 people just went. And, you know, it's like I had made the correlation to someone. I was like, it's almost like what happened to Motley Crue when they lost Vince. Like you're playing arenas. You put out a record that is still really fucking good. And then no one shows up and you're like, I guess we're a club band now. Like, I don't know what mm -hmm. happened. And then I stepped back for a little bit and I made the comment. I was like, you know, if I'm treating this in through, through the lens of being in a band, I'm basically at the club level. Like I could probably play like two, 3000 seaters pretty consistently, like headlining. That's a pretty good fucking career. You can make like a pretty good career out of that. Still, maybe right. every like couple of years you'll get offered to like come open up like an arena tour. That's still pretty fucking cool. And I was like, so I could either sit there and go, oh, well, I can't seem to get past this, this threshold. So fuck it. I guess I should just quit. Or I like, I just don't care anymore. But then I was like, or I just have fun doing what I'm doing and know that I'm at a cruising altitude with it. As Josta likes to say on his show, where it's like, I've reached this level where I'm in with the publicist. I typically can get most of whoever I want. Maybe I'll have to try a little harder for some other people, but like, there would have been a point when I started that this is all I would have wanted is what I have currently. Mm. So instead of being upset of what I don't have, I should be happy for what I do have. Cause there was a point in the journey that this is all I wanted. Right. And I think that's, that's a, that's a great way. What you just said of looking at it, like this is originally what I was cool with, you know, like you got that, 
that little t- like like bands, you know, you get that those couple shows where like it just clicks, right? Like you were in the right town at the right time, and then all of a sudden you play like North Dakota the next day, and like there's you're playing to the bartender, and that's it, you know, and you're like, whoa, what happened? Like I thought we yeah. were I thought we were going places, but like I think you you always have to look at it from the standpoint of like what what am, why am I doing this and what am I getting out of it, right? Why? And and who am I doing it for, right? And most of the time it's like, we're probably doing it for ourselves for some reason, right? Like you started it because you said there's something, there's a void within my life that I want to fill, or there's a void in the market that I want to fill or whatever it might be. But like, you know, it can be just, an, it, it can make you happy and that can be enough, right? Like, Mine was Sometimes. a little more pettier than that. Mine was I was tired I of petty. Yeah, I was mine was I was tired of going on YouTube and seeing some of my favorite bands be interviewed by people who you could tell didn't give a shit about them, didn't like they were either doing it for the clout or the free ticket or the whatever. But like, you know, it was mainly looking up a lot of interviews with the guys in Every Time I Die and someone would be on Warp Tour and it'd just be like, and you are. It's like you, you couldn't even be bothered to learn right. what people the guys look like. There's fucking four of them, five of them, like not hard. And then secondly, it's just like generic ass questions. And you're like, you like clearly could tell you put no fucking effort into this at all. Like, and subsequently the guys, you know, being who they are, would make fun, make fun for themselves out of it or make fun of the person either way. But it just was this thing where it's like seeing shit like that. I was like, I at least can be better than this. Mm. So it's funny when I get people that are like, like I had someone comment on a video from forever ago and they're like, I don't know why you're asking. It was Spencer from periphery. Like, I don't even know why you asked Spencer these questions. And part of it, without even going back, I almost wanted to reply because this band means so much to so many people. I went to a super fan that I knew personally and was like, what are questions? Like if you could ask Spencer something, what would you want to know? Because I feel like that's the kind of comment I don't want. I don't want someone going, oh, you didn't ask about this. You didn't ask about this. It was when I still really cared about what fans of the thing were going to mm-hmm. say. Now, a lot of times when people like I had someone reach out uh, and comment on the YouTube vi- vision or version of uh, a chat I did with Mike from Stained. And he's like, this has like nine views. How the fuck do you keep getting these people? You have no reach. You have nobody on your socials and all that kind of shit. And then like just was being a dick. So I just fired back at him. I was like, sometimes it's not about numbers. Sometimes it's about being a good person and actually doing good work. And I was like, I do quality work. People enjoy talking to me. The publicists get good feedback from me. So are my numbers outrageously awesome? Not all the time. Sometimes that doesn't matter. Sometimes the real interactions with people, the real world thing Mm -hmm. is worth more than quote unquote social currency. And it's, I don't know, it's weird to exist in this world where it's like so much of what I have to do and, and band people have to do is is everything online. And all I keep finding myself doing is just going, like I started a TikTok because I was like, oh, I guess I need to be on that. But then I constantly keep coming back to, like I had a website built because I was like, oh, it has to look professional. You got to have a website, got to have a landing page for all your stuff. And I just keep coming back to the thing of, if it doesn't get people to listen to the episode, then what does it matter? What is this right. like 30 second clip from an episode? If it doesn't get you to then click the thing to then go listen to it, I don't care. I would rather have no socials and no social presence, but have people organically listen and get something out of it than to be chasing trends all over these things. Like I can't imagine myself doing a TikTok dance 
as I literally was going to the bathroom the other day at the mall and there's a kid doing some dance thing. And I really, I figured, I guess I ruined his video because I was in it walking through, but it was this <laughs> thing where I was like, I would a hundred percent rather not do that. And anything I post or I do, you know, that it's authentically me and that right. the, yeah. I'm not trying to do it just to, to pander to somebody. And I don't know if my, credibility or, or lack of caring about these trends because I've seen so much of it. I mean, we, I mean, I'm three years older than you. So it's like, we remember the original iterations of all this social media. Like I spent shitload of time working on his anger page. Guess what? Doesn't yeah, exist. Can't even fucking find it. You know how much time right. I spent coding on MySpace and putting a perfect playlist on, on my, my profile page that all for nothing it's gone. Doesn't even exist anymore. So it's like, I don't think, when people are like, oh, you have boomer mentality. It's like, I just have seen too much of this shit come and go that it's like, it's not, it's not going to be around forever. And, and all the time and energy I spend trying to make this, this thing and make it be awesome. So people want to go to it or whatever, isn't going to matter. But what will is this, because this will exist beyond social media. And to me, I'd much rather put all the eggs in this basket and make something that I'm proud of, at least that maybe, doesn't reach 10,000 people anymore because I'm not as engaged on socials and the, the, the fly by night people that will listen to it for the one guest that they're into. But I think, and I've seen it cause I sent you the text of like one of my friends who sent me something about talking about, you know, therapy and mental health and stuff like that. And I was like, it's worth it for that. If one person gets something out of me beating the dead horse of going to therapy or going and, and trying to be a better you, it's totally worth it. Yeah, I absolutely. I, I think, I think we get so lost. Like everyone gets so lost in the numbers because that's what people care about nowadays. Like if you go on Instagram or Twitter or whatever it might be, you're you're more credible if you have twenty thousand people following you as opposed to if you have nine hundred people following you, right? But like those nine hundred people might be significantly more engaged in your product than yep. the ten thousand people that heard one little blurb and said, no, I'll give it a follow, but never will listen again. Um, and they'll, and you'll just live in their, their social purgatory for the rest of, you know, the, for the rest of the existence, you yeah. know, and I, and I always had that mentality with music as well. It was like, you know, we may never get to play an arena stadium, whatever, but if we can at least, reach a couple people where this album means something to them and they carry it and it helps them and whatever it does, then isn't that what it's, isn't that what it's for that human, that, that human connection, like that's the scene that I wanted to create. And I think sometimes it's very lost. Um, it got lost and it's still very lost where it's like, I wanted that scene to be that place where that one kid who listened to you was able to go and get something out of it and human connection so if, if it might not be 15,000 people watching the YouTube video, but if the, the nine people that watched that episode got something out of it yeah. and maybe they were able to do something differently in their life, maybe they were able to do, you know, not harm themselves or whatever it might be. Isn't that what it's for? As opposed to like, you know, these people that are out here getting all these views, but like they're only getting these views because it's like, Where's the clickbait? Where is this? Where is that? You know, where's like the flashy blinking website, you know, or, or whatever it might be, or because they know how to use a hashtag on, on TikTok, or they figured out the algorithm, right? Yeah. Like 
There was no algorithm when I was active in a band. You literally had to walk around the mall with a Walkman and have kids listen to your show, uh, listen to your CD and, and beg them to come to your show. And like you would sit in front of the hot topic waiting for a kid who looked like they would go to your show and say, Hey, Hey, hey come here. You want to listen to this? All right. You know, come, come to the show tonight. We're playing down the road later. There was no, like, we're just going to do that. Like we grinded and the people that we got appreciated that. And the people that came out to shows stuck with us. And they're still the people that stick with us that still write me a message, you know, like, Hey, like, was listening to this track. Like it still means so much to me. That's not the fly by night. That's not the person. That's the person that's part of those eight, whatever, 10,000 monthly listeners that still care that they're like, wow, you know what? I still stream the record while I'm doing this because it was a part of my teenage years. Yeah. As opposed to, yeah, cool. Like I'm glad this, this person's doing this TikTok trend and they have a million followers, but it's literally done nothing for, for me. Like it's done nothing significant in my life where, where I feel good about it. Like, yeah, it might get you a brand deal. It might get you some sort of some, like a bunch of t-shirts from a place or a, a couple bucks. But like, is that like, will that last? Will that like sustainable? No, <laughs> no. Is it sustainable? I don't think so. Yeah. There's like few bands that where I feel like it's helped them from what I, f- where I feel like they were and a big example of that is a uh, simple plan. Like with mm. that younger, I think yeah. it's younger. Yes. Uh, like they had something that was a viral trend. Granted, I don't have TikTok, and, and what little bit I, st- I feel so old. Cause like, I remember just telling my wife, I was like, I don't get it. Like, what is the, is it for dances? Like, I don't understand like the purpose of this site. Like I was like, at least like Facebook and Twitter and like all these things, like they started as a thing and I get it. This, I don't know what this is. I don't understand like what you're supposed to use it for. Like, I don't know. And and, I mean, it's still early. So, I mean, I guess it can be kind of whatever it wants to be, but yeah, simple plan was one where with that thing, like I feel like since that happened, I feel like their like profile has become way bigger. The only other band too, that I feel like has done the same in a way different capacity is Eve six. When uh, Max took over the the Twitter page and just started flaming Mm. people and just roasting bands and, and making fun of himself and the band, like his own band. And to see like how like people that I would never have even thought to have interacted with like the Eve six page or whatever, like are making comments about shit. And it's just, it's interesting to like see some of these things. I mean, even to the effect of uh, like nonpoint when on Facebook or one of the first bands to use their band account, somebody in the band to then go comment on stuff consistently to where like if you were like on Lambgoat, non-point would comment and then it became a thing where because they were everywhere people would comment oh the first comment before non-point comments and it just became this thing where then all of a sudden you started seeing people be like oh we should use our band page to be every like to actually be out and commenting and and like supporting all these other things and getting our name out there so it's like when i see these things i see like the potential for how it could work but then again almost like in a band situation i'm like that's like the anomaly not the like standard right yeah i think i think everything has to work out the right way for it to actually be something that really propels a band because at what point are you so hyper focused on that that you miss out on other things and other opportunities now 
Um, especially if you're a band who can't pay someone to do it for you, right? Like there are plenty of bands out there that aren't, that don't run their socials and don't do any of that stuff. And it's a lot of, you know, some, some person in an office somewhere doing it all for them. Um, so yeah, I think it's interesting because like I'll have people, like I was looking at getting a social media person, and I'll, I'll talk to people who are like, you should do this. You should do this. You should do this. And like the, the one big one, and it was funny because you mentioned it sort of earlier about TikTok of like following a hashtag or hit the right hashtag. And I was like, I remember having someone and it's always the same rhetoric of people like, oh, you are you using the, the hashtags on Instagram to get your posts? And I was like, sure, I do it because it's the game. And you know, you see people like uh, Finn McKinsey, like the punk rock NBA, like post things. But the thing that I, I, I always feel like people don't talk about is like in some instances, like some people like band dude starts a podcast. Oh man, I'm like getting like great downloads and all the shit. It's like, well, you have a built-in fan base. You're right. essentially starting off on second or third base to start. Mm-hmm. It's not like me where I had to work my way up through the minor league system and then getting a shot, like at some big time stuff. And then maybe it's like, I'm not a starter, but I get to play every now and again. And I got to make my at-bats right. worth it. All that kind of stuff to use a sports analogy. But the other thing is though, too, is like, you know, I'll challenge some people where they're like, oh, you got to use the hashtags. And I go, Dude, have you ever fucking followed, like clicked on a hashtag and followed it? And they're like, no. And I go, have you ever clicked on one and then just look to see what's on there? They're like, no. And I go, so why do we keep using the same rhetoric? Oh, you got to use hashtags. You got to do these things. You got to do these things. When you don't do it, I know I don't do it. And ultimately, like if we don't do it, why do we expect other people? Why do we expect other people to? And I go, and like no one can really ever answer that. They're like, well, I mean, it's just what we all do. And I go, like, I just don't, I don't feel like that works. And like, I feel like it's like I'll still do it. I'll still kind of try to follow the rules. But at the end of the day, I feel like it's all, it's just bullshit. <laughs> I feel like it's all bullshit. We we just keep spreading the same misinformation. I don't even know if it's misinformation. We just keep spreading the same information because I feel like, and I've said this quite a bit too. I have learned to really embrace the, I don't know and -hmm. challenge and question things versus like, we'll use the hashtag thing. I would do the same thing. I would say, Oh man, you got to use the hashtags. You got to do these things. And then I'd really sit back and think about it. I'm like, I don't follow any hashtag. I literally, I don't even follow my own podcast hashtag. So like, why do I, why would I expect someone else to, why would I expect when I'm on Instagram and I start putting in a hashtag and I see like this one has 3 million followers or whatever, why would I expect I'm going to break in through that three and a half million just right. because I use this? Like when you start really looking at it and questioning it, you're like, this makes no sense. And all we're doing is just like, well, you said to do it. So I'm going to do it. Now I'm going to say the same thing. Cause I don't want to look stupid. And like, I'm not as informed as you or everyone else. But then when I start challenging, I go, well, why are we doing that? Why do we have to use hashtags? Why can't I just put the thing out and see what it does? Ironically, most of the time when I just drop episodes and don't post about it for a couple of days, does the exact same numbers, if not a little bit better than when I actually try to do stuff on social media. So then it starts becoming this thing where it's like, should I even bother putting stuff on? Because like Facebook shows me I don't get any interactions. Instagram hardly ever because it's so filled with bots claiming like promoted on whatever <laughs> account or whatever that it's like. Twitter, you might have more of a chance of someone randomly stumbling across, especially if the person retweets it to their people like that one. I get a little bit more. But by and large, a lot of it, I'm like, it's all a crapshoot. I don't think it matters. I think it just is what it is. But it's because we don't want to look dumb or we don't want to seem like we're not with the trends. 
that we just keep saying and, and regurgitating the same things that we're told to do. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's, it's, de it definitely is like, cause I, like I always, I always laugh with some like colleagues, you know, where I'm like, I wonder if I put out the same exact content with the same exact hashtag, you know, like, and, and kind of see it's a crapshoot of like where the, where the algorithm or where the, the website, whatever it is, is going to point you as opposed to the other person and who they're going to magically have you show up in front of like, whether, you know, whether it be TikTok or whatever like that, you know, I'm always like, I'm just going to start posting. Like I would love to do an experiment where I just post the exact same content as that person puts out every single day and see if like, and obviously like I don't have the giant account that other people have, but like if we both, even if we both started at a similar number, I'd love to see like, is it going to blow up the same way? Like, will it trend the same way? How, like what, the, what are the analytics going to be? But then like, I would also challenge you on that where there's like different accounts on different social media things where it's like literally it's the same photo of the same thing posted every day. Like the like Twitter account. This is uh, Craig. What's what's the James Bond dude? Craig, not Craig Ferguson. Uh, whatever that guy is that plays the new the James Bond. Uh, yeah. Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig. Yeah, where yeah. it's like Daniel Craig uh, presents the weekend on SNL and it's just literally the same clip of and the weekend and it just posts every single day. That's all it is. And the amount of retweets, cut likes and all that stuff. And I'm like, this is a fucking joke. It's literally just a, a eight second soundbite. And this, yeah. whoever runs this account just posts that every single day and it gets hundreds of interactions and engagements and all that stuff. And I'm like, for what? <laughs> like, this yeah. is so like, this is like the most lowest common denominator shit, but somehow that's the thing that breaks through because the internet is what the internet is. And just is a fucking cesspool of trolls that think that like weird shit like that is funny, which sometimes when I see that thing pop up, I'll laugh at it. But by and large, when I see it and I look at the engagement, it gets them like, meanwhile, there's like people like yourself who are trying to ask real questions and, and provoke like thought provoke bigger ideas and it won't get nearly the same as engagement. And I feel right. like when I see things like that, that's the, that's the thing that like makes me want to go, well, I'm not quite in your boat where I'm actually trying to like change lives and do something like profound and, and have a bigger purpose. I'm somewhere like below that, but then I'm also not just this garbage, like dumb shit that just, you know, goes to the top of the pile because of whatever. And so it's like, it's hard when I see things like that to be like, I don't even want to try anymore because it just, it seems futile. Yeah. It, it definitely feels, it feels that way a lot. I think, I think the biggest thing I've told myself and have like maybe told friends is like, like, you know, create your lane and believe in that. And no matter what, just believe in that. And yeah. it doesn't matter who, who so-and-so, what this person's doing, what that person's doing, what this podcast is doing, you know, what matters is it's like, does it make you happy? Do you feel fulfilled? And like, yeah, I think that's like, that's the way to, to look at it as opposed to, you know, chasing these, these numbers that are like basically unreachable unless you, unless you hit everything correct. It's just a matter okay. of like, yeah, or, or pay or pay for the promotion and all that stuff. Um, 
you know, does it make you happy? Does it fulfill you? Then do it, then do yeah. it and do it your way. And people will eventually see that, you know, people or the people who give a sh- crap will eventually see that like you are passionate about what you do. And I, I love your passion for it. So I'm going to yeah. follow you and want to listen to it and not go to the next, you know, not just click through it or, you know, open it up and exit out or like, Oh, this is a cool dance video that you did. Like, I'm glad you and Josh did like the TikTok dance while you were interviewing each other, but like, I'm not going to actually listen to the episode. Yeah. You know, like I, I think that's where we have to look at things and go like, I'm doing this for me. And what is it doing for me? It's making me happy. Does this make me happy? Yes. Okay, cool. Then that's, that's the path that I'm going to follow. Dude. I mean, it's like the episode I got with, that'll be episode 400 with uh, Vin from naughty by nature. Like so many people, like when I posted the screenshot, people were like, yo, that's so fucking dope. And I was like, I guarantee it probably won't do very well. And I go, but that's one where I'm like, I don't even care. Like that is, that is a win for me on so many levels. Like I don't give a shit. And I was like, and at this point, like I was like, I was like this, this year, like I, I kind of made a promise to myself. I'm going to go back to more of like how the show started and just making opportunities happen for myself versus like waiting Mm -hmm. for permission. And like the Rebecca black thing was one of those where I was like, I'm just going to fucking send an email. Probably ain't going to hear back from the person, whatever. So 30 minutes later when it was like, she's really busy right now, hit us back in a couple months. And I was like, that was, even that was more than I was expecting. So the fact that it's like, well, now there's some dialogue. You at least know who I am. You're at least communicating with me. The door is open now. So it could happen. And it's like, there are so many things that in the six years of doing this show where I've just been like, there's too many things like that where I'm just like, wow, I can't believe this happened. Can't believe this panned out. Like, there was one like it took me almost four, three and a half years to get the person from the initial email or DM to then finally doing the episode. And it right. was it's still one of my favorite episodes, like of the whole show. And it's like the fact that like there are little things like that that just keep me going. That it's like it, people probably don't care. They probably are mad that I like, you know, it was funny. One of the first bad reviews I got of the show on iTunes is because someone's like, you have all these dudes from Kill Switch and then you don't even talk about Kill Switch with any of them. It's clear, and it's also clear you hate Jesse as a vocalist. I love Jesse, so I made the comment talking to someone on an Instagram live, and I was like, "Dude, I I hope one day I get Jesse because all I'm gonna do because I'm such a fan of his bands and his music beyond Killswitch, I'm gonna talk about everything but Killswitch because I'm that confident I could." And Jesse was right. watching, and he goes, "Dude, game, let's do it." So I sent him a DM right. immediately, and then we talked about everything other than Kill Switch. And I was like, I hope that that motherfucker that left that comment left me a one star. I fucking hope he gets so excited to see this interview with Jesse, and then we don't talk about Kill Switch at all. And then I'll be like, fuck you, dude. Sit through that two hours and don't <laughs> get get what you want. I'll give it to you one more time. <laughs> but also too, like I think that's I think having that mentality sometimes though is so important though because it allows. I think that sets it apart, right? That the normal thought is to think that like you'll have kill switch on and you'll talk about kill switch, right? But why not allow them to have an identity outside of kill switch and allow them to be perceived as humans that, that are more than their band. And I think that's, that's the thought press too. Like I'm more than just these like a million views or whatever. Like, (laughs) I want it like, yeah, sure. They're great because they lead to, they lead to different things. But at the end of the day, like 
I don't know, man. Like, I think it's, I think it's really freaking cool to, to have someone on, you know, from kill switch or, or whoever it might be. And let, let me peek behind the curtain a little bit into their lives of like, what were you doing before this? What, what are you doing now? Like, what were you doing? You know, what's your hobby? You know, like this dude who gets up there and screams his face off, like loves to paint, like, like model cars, you know? And like, you'd find that out and you'd be like, what? That's amazing. That makes me like appreciate him even more. So I think it's like, to me, it's like, it doesn't always have to be like, yes, like it's, it's, it's solely about this and it makes sense. Like, you know, like you could have had Josh on and talked about his, his like law degree, right. Like, and been like, you know, this, this, you know, all of this other stuff or like the dude loves to snowboard. Right. So like, it would have been like, you could have talked to him about snowboarding, but like, yeah, I think it's like, you get to choose your lane and you, you get to choose why you chose that lane. And then that yeah. doesn't matter because at the end of the day, if you're doing it for other people, I don't know if that's the right answer. I think you have to do the things that you're doing for yourself first. And if it reaches people, that's great. But if it's not reaching you yeah, and it's not, and it's not driving the motor for you, then that's when you have to go, maybe it's time for something different. I think, I mean, that's ultimately what led me to therapy in the first place was realizing I wasn't happy with things and needed to fix it. And then right. You know, the the first sign, honestly, of the transition from I mean, I always was interested in in more of like how the show has turned into this. I just wasn't confident in myself, really, is what it, what it boiled down to, because I was like, no one gives a fuck about me. It's the guest. The guest is always the thing that's bringing people in, even though my favorite shows. The reason I like the show is because I like the get I like the host and I like when they interject things about themselves. Granted, they're famous and they have more interesting stories quote unquote but it's like i feel like if you know uh a friend of mine dewey from peer pleasure you know he always talks about because he's our shows are now very similar in like they're long form they're more conversations and not interviews and so we cut talk about all the time he goes you know like you're i think you're like getting there he goes but like honestly when the show really works is when you start talking and giving some of yourself to the the, the co or the guest he goes because if all you're doing is taking from the guest and you're not giving back to them it just feels very one-sided and it feels very like not a transactional, but like essentially it just becomes this thing where the other person's probably like, huh, all I'm doing is giving. They're asking mm -hmm. me a ton of questions and I don't really feel like they're connecting with me when I'm being vulnerable myself. And interestingly, after therapy, I did a chat with, it was the first one was Lee from born of Osiris and he put out a solo record instrumental. And we got talking about therapy and different things. And then we got to the real root of like what, the album was about and some of the struggles he had been going through as a, you know, personally and so forth. And it was one of those, like when he, we were done kind of chatting, he was like, you know, I've, I've answered the question about what the record is about a couple of times. And it's, it's not a lie, but we'll say it's like 10% of what it really is. It's just a watered down, mm -hmm. easy answer. He goes, you're the first person that got the full, what it's about and what it took me to get there. And he goes, but you didn't ask me the question straight up we got there in a really roundabout way and it just happened organically and i felt like we could talk about it because you talked about like you going to therapy and you doing these things and it was one of those first times where i was like and i didn't write anything down like i didn't 
you know, again, the what ifs, I didn't have a full conversation with somebody that didn't even participate in it where I'm going, okay, and then I'm going to lead you here and then I'm going to lead you here and then I'm going to lead you here. And then that's our Mm -hmm. 30 minutes and then we're done. That it really gave me the permission to just kind of be like, just fucking be more in the moment and just be willing to let whatever happens happen and deal with it from there. And honestly, when you start doing that and you have real conversations with people, instead of having a weird ulterior motive, then it just becomes this thing where real connection happens. And to me, in the two years or so since, or about the the year of doing that, I feel like I feel like the show is way better, and I get I get way more out of it because I mm-hmm. feel like I'm more connected to it. And again, even if people don't listen to it, I don't I don't really care because like doing this time is the one thing we all have. Yeah. And to me, it's it's valuable. And my big thing when I walk away is I'm usually like when we hit get done recording, I'm like, how was that for you? And there, everyone's like, had a blast. It was fun. Would love to do this again. And to me, I'm like, as long as I get that versus the man that I, I could have been done about an hour ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like as long as I don't have that, then like, I feel really good about what I'm doing. Cause at least they found value in it as well. Yeah. I think being present and intentional with your time is so important, right? Being present in that moment and not letting an ulterior motive guide you where it's more like, I'm just going to be present and what happens happens. And then being intentional with that time, right? Like having like, you know, spending it wisely. And yeah, I, I, I think there's, there's something to be said for that. And I think like you, like you said, you're kind of finding that out, like leaning more into that has, has, you know, it might not be a 50 million listen listener episode, but you're going to walk away with it with so much more than, than you thought. And someone listening to it is going to listen to that and go, I think I'm going to therapy next week, you know? And if that's, and if that's the result, then fantastic. Or they're going to take that record and they're going to listen to it. And it's going to like the experience of that record is going to be a whole lot different because they didn't get the watered down version. They got the version that's true where it's like, I was really messed up at this point in my life and this helped me do this or whatever it did. Um, so I always think, you know, the, the thought process of being present and intentional and just allowing for the conversation to just flow and be, and just be, and be and connect with another human. It just, it makes sense. I think there's something significantly more valuable in that. Kind of as we're we're gonna start wrapping up because I gotta speaking of quality time and all that kind of stuff, I gotta go uh grocery shopping and do some stuff with my wife. Um you know I know in, in our talking uh behind the scenes, you know, about setting this all up, you know, you sounds like you know the band's kind of getting back together in some capacity uh in the future, uh with a release or something. But I kind of given the fact that you know now you're in therapy like as a therapist like that's your your occupation i would assume solely right now right mm-hmm. okay out of curiosity how has how has writing lyrics been for you now that and i hate to say it this way so if you have a better way of <laughs> saying this please do um now that you have more of a wealth of other people's experiences that you can draw from to to draw lyrical inspiration from how have you found writing lyrics or just even writing been since you've been a full-time therapist as a job? I think for me, 
and what's been different now as opposed to like before is that I'm able to, I think, take myself out of it a little bit and tell, and it's, it's become easier to tell a story um, and stopped thinking, thinking at it. Like times when I've had trouble is when I've gone, I, 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 me, 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 where I'm able to kind of sometimes live in a parallel and kind of look at things from a different perspective and, and write in that sense. So I think, you know, hearing other people's stories and still trying to figure out my own has, has definitely helped me become more just aware of what I'm writing. It's helped me become more intentional in my writing as, you know, going back to the intentionality, like, and more present in my writing, just like realizing like what I'm putting down on paper, what, what story I want to tell, what, what I want to convey, um, where when I wrote my first record with the band, it was very much like we were sitting there just like ripping pieces of ourselves and throwing it on there and hoping it stuck. And, you know, now when I write anything, I try and be, you know, I try and just like, you know, have it tell a story and, and, and know where I want to go and who I want to reach and where, what the beginning, middle and end of that story is, as opposed to kind of just like writing a whole bunch of stuff, throwing it at like at the wall and seeing what happens where now it's like, I have a little better sense of, you know, emotion and feel feelings and, you know, I think, I think that, you know, being more in touch with that as opposed to like not wanting to talk about things um, has definitely helped me for sure. Another weird question. And, and, you know, I had said this to you, so I don't, I don't feel bad about saying this out loud, but, you know, I kind of said that like your band, especially when you were in it kind of existed in this era of, for me, when, and I just feel like I feel so old saying something like this existing where I lived on my own and I couldn't afford to have internet because like mm -hmm. internet wasn't as cheap to have at your house as it or readily available as it is now, like having to go to internet cafes and paying a couple of dollars for like an hour of internet on a, a computer yep. at a place. So when I say like sometimes like certain eras of bands and certain bands themselves, like I would see them on bill like tour flyers and so forth, but I never listened to them because I didn't really have as easy of an access to listen to them because radio stations sort of, as we were saying in, in the chat with Josh, like the avenues for people to hear about it, we're kind of becoming more reliant on word of mouth, literally having a CD or more cases, you know, getting online and seeing it somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so you existed for me in this, this space where it's like, Oh, I saw the band name a ton. I just literally never heard you guys like weren't in my scene of people who like where someone like, Hey, I just got the new Bedlight record. Here it is. Like right. that wasn't really in my realm of what was going on. So this question, I might, my timeline might just be way off. So forgive me if it is, but when you had joined the band, was there sort of any possibility of what the band could be with a second vocalist uh, in by like what ended up happening with Seosin and Cove basically taking over and just putting out this record that 
the first with him after Anthony left and then just skyrocketing the band. Was there those kind of expectations on you guys? I believe so. Um, I mean, was that around the same time of like you joining the band? Like, do I have the timeline somewhat close? Yeah, I think so. Um, okay. I, I, I think there was that expectation. Um, I think me coming in and being as young as I was, and then me having like the vocal experience that I had, there was this potential to grow. So I think that, I mean, and you know, you'd have to ask Josh this, but like, you know, for Josh, I think, I think his thought process was like, this record's going to be big. This band's going to cross over for me and we're going to go from there. I mean, one of the things in his, in his Reddit um, AMA was someone asked him like, what's a band that you thought was going to be way bigger, but never panned out. And our name was there. And it was like, you know, I thought this band, like they had the, they had the singer, they had the good record. They were getting, you know, they were gaining steam and his, his thought on it, if I'm quoting him correctly, was that the right team just wasn't built around them um, to, to help them do that. So I do think there was that expectation and there was that expectation within the band too, where it was like, we have something here we have this, this mainstream record. We, we should go to the moon with this. Um, and there were opportunities for that. Um, they just, at that time, like we didn't have the information. We didn't have a good manager. We didn't have good, you know, we ended up getting better booking towards like the middle to the end of the band, but like our management and booking agent left yeah. With the old, you know, they were like, this band's never going to recover. So we lost the agency group. We lost, you know, um, you know, big, big, big management. And it turned into like us on our own with Josh trying to f- navigate this new record. And, you know, he had high hopes. We had high hopes. Um, but yeah, similar to like when Cove had joined Sayson, it was like, Okay, where is this kid right out of high school replacing a legendary band on a huge first record? I don't know. To me, like when I thought about it, there's there's a few bands of that like around that time frame, give or take like probably two to five years. Like you know, thinking of uh, Haste the Day, like they got you know Mm. um, Jimmy had left and huge fills shoes to fill, and then they got Steven, who you know wider range vocally. Yeah, and you know, pressure definitely. pressure the hinges really took that band in a different direction, and then subsequently where they went from there. But thinking, you know, Sayosin, as I've been listening to that that record, that first one with Cove, it's like, man, I wonder how much of like industry people kind of saw the same thing. Like, here's this literal kid coming out of high school, fronting a band that like had a lot of buzz and steam about them, and then hey, like let's put them with a, a really great producer. Like, I think the songs are here. And it's like when I listen to it, I'm like, man, I'm sure there are people who thought that this wasn't the Seosin that they knew from the EP, but it took them to that next level. And I was like, I wonder if there was expectations like label wise or from management or whatever, where it's like, what happened with Seosin? It kind of happened over here with like another hardcore band, like that was sort of in that vein of Truskill bands. And they're doing well. Like, yeah, maybe this will like, this should work. Like, there's enough uh, Howard Jones and Killswitch, even like, there's mm-hmm. enough instances where like the second record with a new person it's like successful like across the board like you can point to all these records and it's like success 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 and 
if that was sort of heaped on you guys or that there was like the same thing of like, yeah, man, like we feel really good about this record and like a lot of signs in the, in the scene and the industry point that this should be a success. Yeah, there definitely was that. And I mean, and Josh will probably never put this on record, but like, he's a huge pop fan. Yeah. Like he's a huge fan of pop music. And that was the record that we delivered to him. He was in love with like he, he loved it, but it was, to me, it was, you know, a lot of wrong place, wrong time. You know, we we went just beyond the cliche <laughs> pop punk emo pop thing that was going on. Like we weren't we weren't we didn't write a Mayday Parade record. We didn't write an all time low record. We didn't write, you know, a Fallout Boy record. Like we didn't write that record. We went just beyond that where it would have made sense to tour with like Goo Goo Dolls, you know, or it would have made sense to tour with Third Eye Blind as opposed to who we were going on tour with. Cause we were, we were surviving because yeah. of our label and the, the, the name that we had and the bands that we were with and we were young guys. So it like, it worked out, but I definitely think there was that expectation there. Um, and I think for what for what it was, like we we did what we did. I think a lot of internal turmoil stunted what maybe could have been a third record that maybe would have reignited something um, mm. for, you know, I always think that like, would our third record, you know, had a had done this or if we would have went with this producer this time, what would it have been like? So. But like I said, I'm, I'm super proud of the, what we had, the legacy that we have, the people that still listen. Um, and I, I'm proud that like, you know, I'm proud to be part of that umbrella of trust kill, even though like it wasn't always the best place for us. Um, band wise, I'm proud to be part of that legacy and part of the conversation when Josh talks about a band that he thought should have been bigger on his label. He could choose anybody. Yeah. And, you know, like there's there's a million bands he could choose from. And the fact that he would he would use his time to talk about us is is super cool to me. Kind of in wrapping up, you know, you had said that there was something on the horizon, you know, speaking of Josh and, and everything. <laughs> so what what exactly can you divulge at this point with what's going on? So with with Treskill coming back in the capacity right now that he's back in. Um, one of my main goals during the band was getting a vinyl pressing. Um, it's just for solely for me, um, you know, like the pettiness of like, I just want <laughs> one. For, I just want one for a co- my collection, right? I collect vinyl. Yeah. I want my own record on vinyl. So um, this year, a vinyl will come out of Bell Life for Blue Eyes. Um, I don't, I'm not too sure if it's going to be one or two albums, like which out, al- I know it's going to be the album that I'm on. Cause I'm facilitating the whole thing. with Josh. <laughs> Jonas. So, so if it turns around and he's like, actually it's the old singers album. I'm going to be like, dude, come on now. Um, so there will be a, a vinyl pressing that comes out this year. I'm excited about it. Um, Josh is extremely excited about it. Um, you know, just crossing fingers that it all works out and it all, the, the numbers get crunched and, and all that stuff. Um, yeah, that's kind of it for right now. I think, I think the, 
the thought of new music has come and passed, but I am not, you know, I think we're all just too far, far off of the road to come back to that. I'm not opposed to like playing an acoustic show, doing something nostalgic for people who those songs really resonate with. I think that's important. Um, and for me, it's the least I can do for people that this many years later are, are still there and still want to hear that. And it, and it defined a moment in their life for them. Um, so yeah, so vinyl on the way this year, which is, which is huge because Josh didn't have to do that. Right. Like he didn't have to do that at all. Like he could have said, here's, here's, here's three cents for the stream and have a nice day. Um, (laughs) But the fact that he's willing to collaborate, like, and we're going to get a vinyl out this year is, is more than I could ever ask for being this far removed from that band. I think it just showcases how much some of these, these bands and moments of our, our youth and growing up are like, I joke all the time about how, most of my adult life now is just kind of finding ways to feel like a kid, like, you know, playing video games, buying like old records of albums that I used to listen to and have bought in different, almost every medium that they've existed in. And it's just a thing where life's short, find things that make you happy because it's way easier to fixate on all the negative versus the things that you can be like, this is cool. I got this, these things bring me joy, but also knowing that again, pivoting points, like, you know, I have stuff in my room, like in the office I'm in right now where I'm like, yeah, I love having all these things, but they're also things. And if there is a point where I was like, I don't need it anymore, I would have no problem getting rid of most right. everything in this office. Um, I mean, there's sort of, I mean, not to be morose to end the thing, but it's like, I often think about because of having to deal with so much death in like my actual life, I always know that there's an end coming mm-hmm. at some point whatever the end is the end of this like i've there's times i wake up where i'm like maybe i just get to 400 and i just fucking i'm done i just don't say anything i put right. out the episode and then i just walk away or maybe i get to a certain point where it's like i just change what this is like it's not a week a week in a week out episode it's it's something more akin to like the someone who is a me podcast with daniel carter from the bbc where he, maybe you get like one and then four months will go by and you get another one Mm. but like those are so impactful because like they had to happen. Like they, right. they, those chats needed to happen like a quality over quantity. Like I, I constantly think about like the end of things like in recent, like last two years, I've thought about like, what would the end of my marriage look like? Not because I'm, I'm unhappy, but just because like, what would it look like? What would my life look like? And the other thing I, I think about too, in some of those things is like, at least like with the end of the marriage, thinking about, the idea of forever that like when people started getting married, first of all, they were arrangements first and foremost, most of the time. So Mm. you didn't really have much of a say in who you were marrying. And it was for the benefit of your family, either getting land or getting things, dowries and so forth. But even beyond that, it's like, if you want to go back to like the beginning times, it's like, yeah, forever. If you were getting married at like 12, the point was to repopulate your area or your people. So you had workers essentially, but then it's like, you probably weren't living beyond 20 22 so you're you're, the rest of your life was 10 years not like 60 or 70 and then like thinking about like who are you at 22 or 25 when you maybe got married versus who you both are at 45 50 and things that you're like like i don't know i like my wife and i joke all the time about like oh you know maybe we get divorced and like you know whatever 
and I go, yeah, I think maybe like marriages should be like phone contracts. Like every couple of years, you just check in with each other. And you're like, do you want to re up? Or you just want to like walk away and go find a new provider? Like, I mean, I don't know. And like, like even my dad, like when I say things like that, he's like, it's not, it's not funny to joke about that shit. I go, not joking. Like there is, I mean, some of it is for humor's sake, but I think the other part of it is how many people got a divorce because they weren't willing to sit down with their partner and just kind of go like, are we happy? Like, are you like check mm. in with yourself? And thinking about like the long term, like maybe there's something about this that just isn't working. And I would rather like, let's talk about the separation of assets. Let's talk about these things. So at least like when we're calm and we're not wanting to do that, you're able to talk about it rationally. Like my wife and I, she's like, you can have all the records. I keep the home pod. And I was like, I spent so much more money on records for you. Like I will, I could buy like several home pods if that were to be the case. Fine. That's a hundred percent fine. I get right. the, this couch, you get this bed, you get these TVs. All right, cool. Like, and it's like when people are like, you just seem so calm about it. It's like, because these are the things that people will then start arguing about when they don't want it. Cause they're just being petty right. because they're unhappy. They're like, they feel unhappy in the situation they're in or, or whatever, or they're trying to get back at the person for time wasted or whatever. I don't know. But I was like, when I think about these things, it's just interesting to think about them and kind of be honest with myself with something because maybe, maybe in that, and it's definitely happened where I've realized like, I, maybe I realized I've been kind of like shitty lately for unknown reasons and I didn't realize it. So maybe mm-hmm. now I'll make more of an effort to be like, Oh, I should be more committed. I should not be negative. I should work on me, but it's in these thoughts that people probably would deem not positive or not good where right. I find that balance to go the other way. Yeah. And I, and I think like the moral of the story there is like, you know, being willing to have like this open and honest conversation at all, at all times. And I think it, it could happen for a marriage, a friendship, you know, if we relate it back to a band, like maybe, maybe the new move with bands and labels is to be like, okay, one day this will not be good. Let's all talk about it and talk about what, what that's going to look like from a label standpoint and from a band standpoint, one day you're going to want to break up. Here's how this would work. If you want to break up, so-and-so can go on and use the name if he wants. So-and-so can do this. So, you know, like, you know, all of these things where like, you know, I don't know. I think just being open and honest and, and, and talking about things and, and admitting when you don't have all the answers or admitting when you don't have it all figured out. Right. Is, is so important. Like, you know, from a, from a music standpoint, it's like, we just don't know what to do with your band. Like we have you signed, but we just don't know what to do with you. So let's figure out this next step together of like what we, what we can do. Right. Let's, let's not tell you all of the things we can't do if we're circling back and show you all of the things we can do. And this is what we can do. We can shop you somewhere else or we yeah. can do a, we can do a co-label release sort of thing where, you know, maybe, you know, trust, kill and equal vision work together or, you know, just something of that nature where like people weren't willing to do that. But I think the more and more you have open and honest conversations and you aren't afraid to be able to have them. Yeah. Um, the more and more you come to outcomes that are more, a little bit more positive than these narratives that have been spun for years or these arguments that you get into where it's like, no, we talked about this. This is how we're going to work this out. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think transparency is key. Um, it's something that I, I mean, especially starting tomorrow, like I'm moving forward in my career and taking over a GM uh, position. And throughout the interview process, like I just kept telling the person, I was like, I'm a full transparency kind of person. Like I would rather you know where I stand on everything than you wonder. And then people react based on those things. Like I would right. just rather have, like, I'd rather have the awkward conversation. I'd rather talk to about the thing than to dance around it and then just have everyone assume that they know what I'm thinking or could read between the lines, but it's easier said than done. Uh, obviously it's a lot of self-work and, and knowing those things. Um, all of that said, this is, you know, like I said, the thing where I'll ask you, uh, is there anything you would like to plug online or anything uh, that you want to bring up here at the end for people um, to check out? Belly for Blue Eyes Vinyl coming out this year. So when it comes out, um, even if you've never heard of us, pick it up. You might find a song on there that you that you can relate to and 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 um, enjoy. Um, remember, you didn't always enjoy your dad's vinyl, but you still listen to it. Um, and my and another one is like you talk to somebody when you're feeling when you're feeling a certain type of way don't, don't keep it in, go find someone to talk to. Um, all sorts of therapy platforms out there. There's all sorts of ways to, to find therapy. If you're in Massachusetts, hit me up. Um, and you know, just be kind to yourself, be kind to others. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for, for reaching out, uh, to have this end up happening. Um, it was a lot of fun getting to talk to you. It's funny. Cause like I said, a lot of people like my wife was like, I don't, I don't remember. I feel like I remember that band name. I don't remember the band. And I was like, I, I told the dude straight up, like I'm in that same boat. And I was like, <laughs> but I was like, to me, the idea of someone being in music and then going to therapy, like, and I know we didn't really talk too much about that, but, um, again, that's knowing when the conversation's going one way and not just trying to shoehorn it back somewhere else just to get to Absolutely, it. So yeah. as I always say, like, you know, I was so opposed to having a repeat guest on because I was like, oh, we already talked about something. Let that just be what it is. But now I'm kind of seeing the the beauty and having someone come back on and, and just kind of reconnecting every so often and all that kind of stuff. So I will uh, say that I'm sure you and I will probably still be in touch after this mm -hmm. is, is going up, but uh, probably you know, at some point, maybe when closer to the release of the record, maybe we uh, do something and catch back up and talk about the process of maybe the strenuating process of putting out a, a vinyl record today in 2023 with the lead times and all that kind of stuff and all the fun or the, the hair pulling that goes into it. And, Absolutely. Uh, enjoyed, uh, enjoyed talking with you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You too. So that was my conversation with Daniel. I want to thank him again for taking the time. Um, it's uh, it. Again, kind of going back off of what I was saying in the intro, you know, this this past week or so uh, since being in Seattle has just been a really interesting kind of reconnection, rediscovery of a lot of things, you know. Sometimes, and I'll, I'll correlate it first with friendship. So I went and met up with a friend of mine that lives out in near uh, where we're at in Seattle. Uh, they had to take a train, and it was a thing being really good to reconnect with that person. And I talk to them all the time, but it, you know, I don't get to see them in person much anymore. And so it's just kind of nice to have that one-on-one -on -one FaceTime and, you know, some of the experiences that we have gone through together, um, you know, have kind of forever bonded us in tragedy and loss at times. And then obviously, you know, I kind of explained in the intro, the, the thing I had gone through with Frankie and, and kind of helping him, 
start to, you know, take the first steps to getting over, not that you ever really do, but to, to start the grieving process and start, you know, figuring out what life is like now without your forever friend. And, you know, even going to, you know, correlating it to music, you know, Botch is a band that I had gotten into right around the time of them breaking up, basically. And they were always kind of this band that in the scene of musicians and people that I hung out with, like they were like the band's band. Everyone loved this band. And it became this thing where I loved the band, but I felt really bad that I never got to see them. And so when going to this show, it was really interesting to kind of A, be in a new venue, you know, that I've heard about at the Showbox Theater uh, out in Seattle. And to sometimes when you go see bands and when you're into like heavy music, and, and I don't know if this is just me, I'm going to assume I'll, I'll speak just for myself, but sometimes when I go see shows or I go see heavy bands, it's like, yeah, it's just, it's the same people. And, and I kind of get a little, I don't want to say jaded to the scene, but it just kind of become like, it's an, it's that old thing, you know? And it was so interesting to be at this show and to never having seen the band and, you know, all the hype around these reunion shows and the the footage from the night before. And I remember as the band was playing and, and Frankie had gotten us a really good seat uh, right along. It was like a little bit higher up than the floor. And so we were pretty much level with the stage. And so I had a really good look at basically th- like I would say a good 75% of the stage and the venue like as a whole. Uh, from my vantage point. And it was one of those where when watching the band, it's like you could see them looking at their their friends and family that were like side stage and sharing smiles. You could look around the room and see people smiling. You could look in, at the pit and see people, you know, circle pitting and crowd surfing and stage diving and all that stuff. And everyone just had smiles on their faces. But the band was so fucking good as well that like I'm thinking about it now literally puts a smile on my face. And it's one of those that when you're in a room like that, I could see how people are like, this is fucking absolute madness. Like, what is remotely fun about being in a show like this? And to me, it was a reminder of why I fell in love with this style of music, why I love going to shows like this, and why I love going to metal and hardcore shows as a whole, because it's a fucking release. Um, it's cathartic, and it, it is what it needs to be. And I think with so much kind of grief and and death and new beginnings kind of being sort of this this through line of my entire trip and really the last few weeks in my life you know between the end of one job and the start of another and just you know everything I've already discussed pre and post like currently it just became this thing where it was just so much fun and and I I kind of was glad to have that hour hour and a half ish to just really kind of take it all in and enjoy it. And I find myself with some of these bands that are coming back around and reuniting. Like, it's kind of the fun thing is like, you don't have to get all fucked up on beer or whatever, and then go see your favorite band and have no memories of it. Um, thankfully, most of the reunion shows I have gone to are reunion tours between like Botch, uh, Refused, um, a handful of others. You know, it's it's been that. It's, it's a memory that I take with me and I really cherish. Um, and I think it's it just takes being more being in the moment and really kind of letting things in and, and kind of feeling everything all at once. Um, it's a beautiful thing. All of that said, uh, once again, <laughs> I want to thank Daniel for uh, coming on the show. And 
you know, there was a lot of back and forth between him and I uh, leading up to us doing this chat. And, you know, I wasn't sure where we were going to go. Uh, I would love to have him back on and, and discuss more about, you know, obviously getting into uh, becoming, you know, therapy and getting into uh, what he's trying to do, which if you follow him on socials, and I'll plug those in just a second, uh, you see that he's really, really, really trying uh, to help a lot of athletes, a lot of musicians, a lot of people that I think kind of fall through the cracks, honestly, uh, when it comes to mental health and mental health advocacies and so forth. And I really commend what he's trying to do. I think obviously him being a musician uh, and touring and all that, I think has allowed him and offers him a unique perspective on what a lot of these people who constantly have to travel, have to be away from their families and, you know, the high demands of, you know, being one of the best uh, in your, your desired profession, uh, the pressures and all that stuff. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people that probably do need some extra help. Uh, and I think Daniel trying to figure out how to work with, a lot of these organizations, these teams and so forth and figure out how to make that work. I think it's a, a com very commendable thing. Uh, and I hope that, you know, obviously in a, a handful of years, cause I'm going to assume that this isn't going to be something that can just happen uh, very quickly, that it'll take time. Uh, just like a lot of things to, to better yourself. Uh, it, it takes time. It's not instantaneous. And I think uh, Daniel's on the right path. And I really do hope that a lot of the things he's working on, I hope, actually come to fruition. I think everyone needs help, whether they realize it or not. Um, all of that said, if you would like to keep up with Daniel, you can do such on Facebook at Daniel.Rinaldi. Instagram is DRinaldi Music. Twitter is DRinaldi Music as well. And it doesn't really sound like much is going on with Bed Life for Blue Eyes uh, other than a reissue. Uh, they do have a website, uh, bedlifeforblueeyes.com. Uh, there's not really a whole lot on there. Uh, or you can go on to Instagram and find them at Bed Light for Blue Eyes as well. Uh, obviously, look forward to those uh, reissues. Uh, Trustkill's doing a lot of great stuff. Uh, looking forward to seeing what else they start doing. Obviously, a lot of these bands from the Trustkill era are coming back. I just saw, actually, uh, yesterday, the uh, It Dies Today camp uh, getting some, some grub at Gabriel's Gate, uh, which if you've never had it in Buffalo, New York, uh, some of the best wings you'll ever have. And I'm not just saying that, like, I genuinely believe they are some of the best wings you will ever eat. Um, made me really jealous uh, to, to see them there, but also insanely jealous uh, that I won't be at Furnace Fest to see the guys reuniting and, and playing some of the classic material. But here's to hoping uh, with a, like a lot of people, like the band I actually just went and saw, here's to hoping maybe that the demand uh, is so great and the fandom and the reaction is that, that it'll bring back uh, some of these bands in a limited touring capacity. And uh, looking forward to seeing what the rest of this year holds for, for a lot of these bands. If you would like to keep up with the podcast, you can find us simple enough, Bruce Speak Pod, on all your social media platforms. And want to thank our sponsors once again, Rockabilia.com and Starving Artist Brewing. Uh, go support them for supporting us. Uh, use our code at Rockabilia if you would like. Uh, get 10% off your total purchase order. The code is Brutally at checkout. Take 10% off your total purchase order. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John, and I will see you next time. Uh, <laughs> currently, I was supposed to do a couple podcasts today. And for one reason or another, all of the chats ended up falling through. So it'll be, I don't know what I have coming up next. So I have to get on the grind. Uh, enjoy your week, your weekend, whatever it is when you listen to this. And I'll talk to you all next time.